My name is Dan Scully. My name is Garrett Smith. I don't know why, but I thought you were going to say my name is Garrett Smith, and my brain started preparing to say my name is Dan Scully. <laughs> that's fine. My name is Garrett Smith. And my name is Dan Scully. And uh, with that's us not today, already have... confusing for people, because yeah. our voices sound exactly the same. With us today, we have a uh, friend of the show. Uh, you know him. You love him. Fellow uh, Cinema 76er, welcoming once again to Movie Movie, Andy Elijah. What up? Thanks, guys. It's great to be back. Thanks for coming, man. I I realized recently I love that uh, Cinema 76 is the title of the blog we went for because we get to say Cinema 76er. It feels like really uh, makes me feel much cooler than it should. Oh, yeah. Your sound just cut out there. Oh, there you go. No, you're good. Um, So, yes, of course, you can find I Like To Movie Movie everywhere you find podcasts. It is I Like To Movie with the numeric two in uh, any of the web forms that you fill out. Uh, We've been credited as both the two or the T-O in Alder. So it's both. It's whatever you need it to be. But uh, if you Google it, you will find it. Uh, So definitely do that. And also bounce on over to our newly established YouTube. Uh, We've been doing some more casual episodes over there, just kind of having some fun. We've had some cool guests and we've got a lot of really cool stuff coming up over the next few yeah. weeks. And, actually, and uh, the I YouTube make a re- comments section is where we are going to be giving out some prizes. So definitely yes. check that out. I would like to make a request of our listeners that you subscribe to the YouTube channel. I, I'm, you bro, you cut out again, dude. Oh, I don't know. I don't know why. Couldn't explain Neither it. of you are cutting out for me, just so you know. Okay, so it's probably just my end. Okay. So anyway, you'd like to make a request. Yeah, um, of the listeners that they uh, subscribe to the YouTube channel because I think we need a certain amount of subscribers to get the actual like slash I like two movie uh, uh, address. You know what I mean? Okay. It's like some random garble right now. If you search for the name of the podcast on YouTube, you'll find it. But uh, if more people subscribe, I believe we get the uh, ability to create an actual like uh, uh, URL for the oh, show. Right on. So yeah, please, please do that for us. And while you're on that charitable train. You know, uh, subscribe on iTunes and share it with your friends. Tell your parents about it. All that fun stuff. So, yeah, definitely do that. Um, anybody else got any housekeeping you want to get out of the way before we get into this? No, man. I'm, I'm, I, I think that's it. I think I'm ready. I'm ready to talk about this, this movie. Okay, so last week uh, marked the passing of the legendary actor Ian Holm. Mm. He was 88 years old. Uh, fans of our show probably know him best as the robot who gets his head ripped off an alien. Uh, yeah. And um, but he has a pretty storied career. But uh, really, uh, you know, I should let you say this, Andy. Andy brought the movie that we're covering tonight to the show, uh, really, because it's one of the few movies where you could argue that Ian Holm is the lead actor. Right. So, yeah. yeah. Andy, you want to tell us a little bit about why you picked this movie, or did I just undercut everything? No, not at all. Um, so I'm glad that I picked this movie. It's called The Sweet Hereafter. It's directed by um, Adam Agoyan. And I think it's from 1996. Um, uh, 97, I believe. Oh, 97. Cool. Yeah. Um, so I, sorry, my dog is getting the zoomies right now. So, um, oh, isn't that the best thing in the world? <laughs> it's, it's very funny because you have no idea why it's happening, but it yeah. just does. They just um, got to scoot, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
So basically, um, I actually wanted to bring another one of his movies on the podcast for a while, one called Exotica, which came out in 94. And um, then this week, I was just kind of talking to you guys about, you know, coming on the podcast. And I decided, oh, well, you know, obviously Ian Holm had just passed away. So it was the perfect time to do an Adam McGowan film, except not that one. So I chose this week hereafter. And it's, it's a movie that I feel like I, I've seen a few times. It's one. It's probably one of my, like, I don't know if it's one of my favorite movies, but it's definitely one that it, it's, it's it a movie obviously that's really stuck with, with me very deeply over the years. Yeah. And, uh, and it's also a movie that I feel like not a lot of people who I'm, have seen and certainly not like a lot of my peers or my friends um there's literally no reason i would look at this movie and think i would like to watch that exactly so so i feel like never would have happened unless you recommend right yeah and similarly to when i was on here um a while ago talking about mysterious skin it's just one of these movies that where you see it and you're like wow this movie really fucked me up um but in like a good way and i kind of want to share it with other people so i'd be lying if i said i didn't think about mysterious skin a few times a week every every week since you told you showed it to us that movie (laughs) is incredible yeah really really incredible so if there's ever any movie that i dismiss that you go no 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 dude i'm gonna check it out this is gonna happen that is established yeah i just love i guess i'm really drawn to films like this one that are sort of about um trauma that is sort of hidden and that basically comes out in unexpected ways, almost like trauma, like like sort of peeling back layers of trauma that also, in a similar way to to how somebody would like, you know, kind of discover a part of themselves. So it's mm-hmm. like self discovery that also equals like processing trauma, more or less. Mm-hmm. In that um, and, way, and the, and the hidden effects that it had, the hidden, surprising, and unexpected effects that the past has on the present you know so yeah. it's kind of like that i when i was watching it it was weird because halfway through i was like i'm learning about these characters similarly to how i learned about the denizens of twin peaks mm-hmm. uh, and uh, yeah. it just had that vibe to it but uh and I, we said this when i was talking about it before we can get into this a little bit later but outside of the show i said i think this movie which i believe has a 100 percent on rotten tomatoes would probably be somewhere in the 60s and 70s if it were released today Mm-hmm. I feel like the response would be lukewarm because it's interesting. I felt it was very dated, but I don't know if it's dated or I've just seen so much Kenneth Lonergan since then that I now have a taste for the more contemporary feel of that exact same type of everybody's got trauma. I think that I think you're onto something there. Um, but and I can just quickly summarize it for us too, um, just for the listener. So it's about the sweet hereafter is about a small town in vancouver canada or vancouver british columbia british columbia uh, british columbia vancouver's a city british vancouver columbia, before state. christ yes <laughs> exactly mm-hmm. and where um basically a bus full of <laughs> it's, it's this movie is not exactly the happiest movie wait, wait, wait. Seen. let's um, let's go the other way with it and let's yeah. say it's centered around a lawyer yes. <laughs> who travels to this town to potentially litigate some sort of class action settlement to uh, help the mental state of a, of a town that has uh, suffered a very, very large collective disaster. I think that's a better way to put it. Yeah. yeah. And we um, can get into what the disaster yeah. is. As, I mean, it is a bus crash of kids. Yes. <laughs> you yeah. Know yeah. That. A bunch of kids drown in a frozen lake after a bus crashes. It is, yeah. uh, boy, it's is it miserable. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it's not exactly, uh, yeah, it's not exactly, um, you know, uh, 
There's no silly Hawaii outtakes in the credits. Yeah, yeah, no. yeah exactly. Yeah. It's not exactly uh, dirty work, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I would say the, the way I first heard of it. <laughs> Can you imagine? I, I love dirty work dirty as the example of that. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's no dirty work, but yeah. trust dirty me. work is just the opposite of all other movies. You know what I mean? I mean, it's no dirty work, so. Actually, maybe it is dirty work, and as it, if they followed the class action lawsuit, they'd find out that the bus <laughs> crash was just some side effect of a revenge for higher plot right. as enacted yeah. by Norm MacDonald and Artie Lang. Yeah. And the last line of the movie is, you know, uh, you know the law is dirty work. <laughs> I like the idea, too, though, that it would star Artie Lang like now, somebody <laughs> who has had some trauma and has been through some shit and might have a better understanding of how to play drama. And he's got to go and like flat nose an Oscar speech. You're, oh, man, I want that reality. Totally. But the way I first heard about the movie was on um, when I first started really getting movies back in like 2013. Um, film spotting turned me on to it. I, I don't oh, yeah. know it. It just, it would just show up repeatedly in like their top fives, or or I would listen to like an old episode about like top movies in the 90s or something, and this would always come up. And so I you know decided to check it out. Um, and I was really blown away when I first saw it in like 2014 or so. Um, and I even actually ended up reading the book that it was based on, which is by Russell Banks. How is, is the book? A, so I would say that the book um, is, I mean, the book is incredible as well. It's probably, I don't, I wouldn't say it's even better because it's kind of like apples and oranges, but the book, the book is really valuable, even if you've seen the movie. Um, and I like watching the movie first and then reading the book. Which I also I, I agree. Winter's I think that film. that's that's worth doing sometimes. But I do feel like when I was watching the movie, I got the sense of uh, I, I I kept saying to myself like, "There's more to this," yeah. and not in the sense of they're being ambiguous in good ways, but almost in a way where it felt incomplete. And I think where it landed, it does feel complete. But in the moment, there were certain things where I was like, "I can tell this is you know you can tell it's yeah. based on a book because sure. there's like backstory you don't get." Um, I don't know. Can you speak on that? How yeah, I think, well, I think so. Well, an interesting thing about the structure of the book is that it's told from, um, it's kind of like a Rashomon style. So yeah. it's told mm -hmm. that makes from sense the to perspective me. of four different characters. Yeah. But I, as far as I believe, as far as I remember, it doesn't like kind of cut back and forth like the movie does, you know, where it sort of like um, intersplices the timeline. It basically yeah. just has like four, there's basically four long chapters of the book one for each character that it tells the perspective from. So the lawyer is one, the bus driver is another, um, Sarah Polly's character is another, and I forget who the fourth character is. Um, maybe Bruce, Bruce Greenwood's character. Probably. But, uh, but so who is told, absolutely fantastic. He's great in this movie. So fucking good. Yeah. So yeah, so it's told from, it's told in these like long Rashomon uh, chunks, which, which I think, I don't know. It just it's, it's at one point it really, is it told from a person who's like channeling one of the dead children. <laughs> uh, that would be intense. I don't believe so. <laughs> <laughs> and it's based in the book is uh, based on an actual case. Uh, something like this similar happened in Jesus. upstate New York. So oh, that's you know. awful. And Jesus. so, so the movie they were like, okay, well we'll move this to Canada. Um, you know, because Adam McGowan is a is is an Armenian Canadian uh, director. So, in the credits, um, it's like any events in here that are similar to um, any events that took place in America are different because it's actually Canada. So this is a different story. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was it's Canadian, entirely fictionalized. Yeah. Yeah. Did you hear Sarah Polly at one point say, "I'm sorry"? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Said, yeah, that was pretty great.
I always love hearing Canadian accent. Anyway, so yeah, um, so I wanted to bring it to you guys just because you know it really had. I've seen it like three times now, and it's just it's like a pretty haunting film that really does. Uh, and because it's told in a nonlinear fashion, where you sort of find about find out about this accident and the lawsuits and the and the accompanying stories and secrets that all the townspeople have. Um, you know, because it's told in such a chopped up nonlinear way, you kind of, uh, you know, you sort of learn something new each time you've seen it. And, and you don't, certainly in my experience, you don't get it all at once. You just sort of come away with it being like, huh, that was, that was quite an experience I just had. In the, uh, in the like immediate post Tarantino nineties where everything was nonlinear, you know, until the concept yes. was, and honestly, like the concept kind of, I don't want to say jump the shark because it's a good movie, but like Memento kind of put it to bed. Mm-hmm. But like the idea of telling something in a nonlinear fashion was really effective then and, and really popular then. But I would say that <clears throat> watching that now, what has it been, 20, 23 years later from mm-hmm. when it came out, watching it now, that nonlinear thing was what I think I liked about it most. It didn't like feel it gimmicky like it yeah. often can feel gimmicky. And it felt it felt like it gave me the information in the most organic way. So as to not put me into too much of a position where I'm judging any character. Yeah. And yeah. that always gets more mileage for me out of drama movies. Cause there's sometimes where someone will do something fucked up and me not, you know, not the general audience, but me, I'll be like, fuck that person. <laughs> it's like, but the movie requires my empathy at that point. Mm-hmm. And so when you do it nonlinear, it like tricked me into not being like, well, fuck that guy. Like right. I really felt everybody. Mm-hmm. And I would say an interesting test of a movie is like, if the story was told in a linear fashion, would it still be as good? Would it still be interesting? But that's kind of like actually a useless question to ask because the whole point of telling it in a nonlinear fashion is to you know reveal certain information at certain times yeah. to play around with your empathy so that you actually does the book do that? Then, I don't because if they do it chronologically, not chronologically, they but just tell like one person character. at a time. Yeah. You tell it by character, and then like the next character, you hear their point of view of the previous character. So, but you get really in depth with each character. Is it like um, four chunks result. of each character, or does it? I do believe like it's blurbs? just four. I believe it's like four long continuous chunks. That's yeah. wild. Oh, yeah, yeah. fascinating. I'll, I'll let you borrow it. I would be um, very curious to see how it plays out. I would love to fun at first before I hand it off to you. <laughs> That's fine. Mm-hmm. I'm under such a big stack of books that I bought in quarantine, or like put on my nook in quarantine, that I'm like working through, but. I've got, I, I bit off a little more than I could chew. Totally. So what did you guys think about it? I'm, I'm very curious. Danny, you want to take it or you want me to go? Um, I feel like you, we've been talking over you for like the last 20 oh, minutes. I so I, I want to hear what you think. Well, My, I, was just gonna, I can I say have, mine's simple. I know yours is more complicated. Yeah. Yeah. I really liked it. Um, I thought it was good. I thought it was well done, but it felt very dated to me. And the way the ways that it felt dated, not in the you know not linear timeline, but the ways that it felt dated did sort of hurt the experience a little bit for me. Uh, not dated in terms of like whoa that was tasteless, but just dated in terms of right. like it felt schmaltzy and old. Yeah. But um, I came to That's appreciate fair. it as it finished and where it landed. I was like, damn, that was a really like powerful movie. So that's yeah. where I'm at. Uh, I, I had a, I mean, so I'm probably not gonna be able to be totally fair to this movie because I had like a real hell of a week and. I feel like this was just a bad movie yeah. to watch on the tail end of this week. <laughs> Sorry uh, to not, hear that, not man. It's not a fun movie to watch <laughs> no, during the yeah, I, summer. I quite yeah. literally couldn't get through more than five minutes of this at a time. I had to keep just like walking away from it because it is just pure misery every single frame from start to finish. 
There's yeah, no not levity. a lot of levity either. There's yeah. no breaks. It it is just miserable people living miserable lives trying to eke out like some kind of like miserable existence together. <laughs> and I have just so little interest in that experience as like a, a movie generally, let yeah, alone mm-hmm. when I'm already like feeling down myself. Like I could I can't imagine ever watching this movie again. I would never yeah. want to put myself through this again. Um, no. Yeah, I have one more viewing in me, and it's like 10 years from now when I forgot about it and go, I'd like to study that. Not yeah. because I go, ooh, I want to watch that. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. but here's what I'll say, though. You know what I, I could go for right now? Uh-huh. Sweet hereafter, crack a couple beers. Who's in? Uh-huh. Uh, I just thought, like, the filmmaking was great, actually. Like, yeah. I really, really yeah. enjoyed The sound design is amazing. And there's, like, a lot of really cool stuff. Like, there's that one really amazing moment where um, I think it's Bruce Greenwood's character. Uh, we've ar- we've already seen the interior of his car wash because of an earlier scene. So we know there's, like, an amplifier there or whatever. Yeah. And it's, like, it's ringing back at some point. But the the sort of, you know, that, what do you, what do you call that noise? The, uh, feedback. the feedback sound is actually kind of also part of the soundtrack in that moment. Like it's mm-hmm. it's reflective of the emotions that Ian Holm is feeling in that moment. So like, I thought there was a lot of really creative stuff like that. There's a great moment where the, um, the two parents of the one kid that dies, they live in the, they're like the hippie parent. They call them the hippies. Oh, yeah. Bear, um, the autos. Bear. Yes. The autos. Um, the, the, they make really cool artwork, which is uh, comprised of these like mirror images. Um, and at one point, um, uh, Ian Holmes' character and Mr. Otto are standing face to face, and a picture of Otto's kid in mirror is looking back at both of them because it's a mirror. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. And it is an incredible shot that I think like says so much about who both those men are in that moment and like how they're both sort of handling this traumatic event and for why they might be and who might be judging them over their yeah. response to it. You know, so there's what like, I like a to it like trains you to look for that. Cause there's a yeah. lot of stuff going on in the decor and in the background of that. And quite literally at the beginning, they just do a lingering shot. That's very clear on the calendar. So, you yes. know, <laughs> 2005 or not, sorry, 1995, 1997. Yep. And there's never a title card beyond that. And yep. it's that the direction like trains you to just look for cues. Yep. And then hidden in those cues are moments like the one you speak about. Yeah. Yeah. And really I love clever filmmaking. I thought that was great. Like, I just really like the filmmaking and I thought the cast across the board was like really great. I actually, I know we're here to talk about and praise Ian home who I genuinely love, but I, I did, I thought a little bit, he was the one that was like a little bit playing in a lifetime movie where everybody else felt like real people. He mm. was like a little more affected. I felt like, you know, you know, it's crazy. I had the complete opposite experience. Oh, that's funny, yeah. Because I really resonated with his character. I was like, man, he's like, he's definitely, you know, everybody in a movie like this is going to be heightened a little. Yeah, yeah, But, like, I really just, like, was feeling and processing with him. And, like, all the other stuff felt almost fairy tale-y to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And everybody else's performance fit that fairy tale, but it they felt more rooted in melodrama to me. So I had an opposite experience. Yeah, that's interesting. But the reason... But I, I, I'm willing to admit that it could just be because that's sort of the angle that I looked at it in. When yeah. he went to this town, it was foreign and fairy tale yeah, yeah. And then you find out that, you know, the witch is eating people or, you know, whatever. You know, there's something more going on. So well, a, literally, I, one of the motifs of the film is the Pied Piper. Yes, so yes. It's, so it's interesting that you call it uh, everyone fairy else tale. is like they're in a yeah. fairy tale because that's literally... In a way, you could say that that's what the movie is, right? It's sort of like a very dark fairy tale. That so, is yeah, in that sense, those tones pie pie. sort of clicked with me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But being such a solid binary, I'm very curious to hear 
because being such a solid binary, if you flip that, there is a distinction between yeah, their right. performances. There is I, I want to know how you read it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, are you talking to me, Dan? I'm sorry. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm just asking, like, since I had, I just yeah. validated why I thought he was better. Hit me with the opposite side because. Oh, it, so he. There's I, obviously two shades of performance going on here. Right. That's evident. Well, he, what now that we're talking about it, I'm wondering if it's just because I might even have just a different read on his character than you, and that might explain sure, some sure. of the difference in feeling. I got the impression pretty early on, and I definitely think this by the end, that he he's not like the ultimate villain of the piece. I would say that's obviously Sarah Polly's dad, right? Is, mm-hmm, is yeah. kind of the most villainous character ultimately. But I think he's like pretty much shoulder to shoulder with him as like a true villain of this movie. He mm-hmm. forces this town to relitigate their trauma just oh, to yeah. try and make a little bit of money off of them. And that is so fucking fucked up. And I read that on him almost immediately in the movie. And so, like, I had no sympathy for his character through most of the movie, like, at all. And I and I felt like he was, like, really driving home with a lot. He's He does a lot of face work with his hands. He does a lot of, like, holding on to his face. Yeah, and yeah, sort yeah. Of like, He's doing was, like, theatrical work. Yes, I was really yeah. watching him perform this character where I do hear what you're saying. Like, the bus driver lady is like, she's doing it. Oh, gosh, gee, I'm down yeah, for yeah. the Midwest character, you know? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, so, I like, I, I do hear what you're your saying kids. about them. Yeah. I, I, no, hear you know, I agree because but. I had a similar read to him that yeah. he is not a, a good guy. But I think that is essentially what the movie is about yes. is because my takeaway from it was just like you have absolutely no clue what trauma anyone's going through. Yeah. And like he clearly is clueless to whatever his daughter's dealing with and, you know, and, and is dismissive up to her because of it. Um, but at the same time, the town that. folks are dismissive to him because they don't understand that he's losing a child. You know, and and so short of, you know, the straight up pedo, I think all of the characters, the movie was about them trying to and and even him, I'd say, was like well motivated beyond that. I think it's about teaching the lesson of you might not understand someone's motivations and it's because you don't really know them that well. Mm-hmm. And so while I yeah. agree that having him relitigate their trauma and essentially just trying to find a villain that they can get money out of yeah. is is a little low to me. But at the same time, I think it motivated as like, here's this guy who is essentially trying to like, if I can't get my own daughter back, I would like like there's some there's some altruism there that's skewed that I think he's operating from. So yeah. I, I do have a question about that specifically, but I, I do. I want to say real quick before I ask it, but remind me to ask you guys about Ian Holmes character. Uh, and his and his daughter specifically. Um, but I I did by the end, I really liked where they went with Sarah Polly's character. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I as you were saying, Andy, the the idea of like hidden trauma sort of being brought up and sort of um there being some kind of resolution there, you know, was like kind of helpful to me in this otherwise very miserable movie. I yeah. do think maybe though, like I was a little bit disappointed that the movie then just kind of goes on from there and doesn't address the idea that like, she still has to go live with that man, which is just an equally fucked up, traumatic, horrible thing. There's like nothing good about that, you know? And she has no escape. Right. Yeah. There's just no way for her to get out. Yeah. So I, I I still felt like, and so ultimately here's the thing is what I think I had a, a big problem with this movie was just that I think the movie is painting Ian Holm as a villain for sure, for being selfish in dragging everybody through this trauma which means this movie do- has no reason to exist and doesn't understand itself because that's what it is doing. It's forcing <laughs> an audience to be dragged through all of this trauma just to be dragged through all of this trauma with these characters. And I so dislike that as like, a, 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 I don't know, a storytelling. Mm-hmm. I don't know. 
It feels like I the just, movie doesn't. Like it, if it's gonna make the point that that's an evil thing to do to drag people through trauma for no reason to relitigate that trauma, then I shouldn't be watching this movie. This movie shouldn't <laughs> exist. Yeah, see, that's where I would differ. Is I think that the intention of the movie, the the mechanism, is dragging you through all of this trauma, but the intention is essentially what I said before, which is you don't know what someone else is dealing with because there's trauma fucking everywhere. So before you start establishing heroes and villains, maybe, you know, take a few minutes to listen. You know, I I like that read on the movie for sure. And I think with that read, it works better. But at the same time, one of the reasons I don't typically hunt down movies like this is exactly that. I go, I, 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 I I would like to watch something that is fun for me. (laughs) You know, like, yeah. Then again, I, I say, fucking love Magnolia, so... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do, too. But that's also a little more heightened and, you it's know... got some levity to it. You know, yeah, it's yeah. funny, and it's got Patton Oswalt. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know. Well, I can totally see... I, I, I never thought of it that way, Garrett, but I, I can totally see where you're coming from with, like, why does this movie exist? Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I would say, too, though, like, I'm kind of with Dan on this one, where it's, like, the point of this movie... One of the many points um, is, you know, when you when you go to town digging up dirt, you don't know what you're going to find. Right. So Mm -hmm. he's kind of like, you know, Ian Holm has no idea about the fact that, you know, Sarah Polly is like being molested by her Mm -hmm. father Mm -hmm. and is, or, you know, you could even, I mean, being molested by her father is the, is the truthful point. You could say an incestuous relationship with her father, which is uh, a far less charitable take on it. But, but the interesting thing about the end of the movie, Garrett, I, I know what you mean where it sort of seems like it, it doesn't resolve the situation for her, even though right. it seems like it's supposed to be kind of a triumphant, heroic right. moment. But right. I, I do think that that's kind of the point is like there's not really a victory in what she's doing as much right. as she's just sort of like she's doing the only thing she can do to kind of get back at her dad. She's, yeah, she's thinking, asserting herself in literally a fuck, the only avenue she's got. Yes, yeah. right. She's asserting herself and taking ownership in some way that, which is, uh, I guess we could say is potentially personally powerful for her, though right. I imagine it will have consequences potentially even worse than what she's already living through. Yeah. Um, and the question is this, which is if she had, so, so Sarah Polly plays a character, a teenage girl who, is like a musician. Yes. Uh, a great singer. She's like in a band that she's kind of, I don't know if I buy that like a 15 year old girl would be, um, you know, like, well, this, Andy, this I, band that's backed think, by a bunch of, but I think stuff. they even address that in the movie because Bruce Greenwood's character hands her a tape and basically <laughs> says like, yeah, I wrote you some new guitar parts. Like yeah. it doesn't uh... even seem like she is the one that is actually the musical. Ge- she's talented, but yeah. she's, she's backed by maybe a more talented, but, guy who has just decided I'm past this. And he's this, just ripping guitar you know. solos yeah, like, yep, he's, yeah. like he's an asshole in a guitar center right. in like 1995. <laughs> you know? yeah. That'd be funny yeah. if he said that and she looked at it and he just like, he just radio recorded the Blue Album. Right, right. yeah. Like, he didn't write these. That's <laughs> yeah. Rivers Cuomo. This is 1992. This is, my name is Jonas. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, but I would say like, so the question is this. So, so she, she survives this bus accident. She's like yes. the only child that survives the bus accident. Yes. And just because she happened to be sitting in the very front seat. So when the bus falls through the ice back first. Yeah, it goes ass her, in. So yeah, ass in. So it's her and the That's bus the way driver I like are to the go. only ones. <laughs> <thing. laughs> who who sings that? Is that Phil Collins? Lud- that's Ludo. <laughs> okay. That's that's, that's I can't uh, tell. Chris actually it's Chris Bridges. Um, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just immediately um, think like hood and when I do that I think of uh no jacket required. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. Faces. Um, so, so, so basically, 
she survives this accident and she um, ends up, and, but her career basically, you know, she, she's a paraplegic now. She, she's been crippled. Yeah. She's been crippled and she has to spend the rest of her life in a wheelchair. And so she's paralyzed, which basically, and suddenly her father is no longer paying like sexual attention to her basically. Right. So it's almost like, it's almost like he's dumped her in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wonder if I don't, the movie doesn't really make it very clear the extent to which she's really aware of how inappropriate, obviously, right. and fucked up that relationship is. It almost seems like she's, and, and I believe this because she, as a teenage girl, who's obviously been like severely, her life has been severely interrupted by being like, by being, you know, molested by her father. Um, she's not very, I don't know how aware she is of how fucked up. Like, I don't know if she's consciously aware of how fucked up it is. Like, she yeah, might just simply. I would be agree. Like, my father is. Uh, he, he. She might be kind of like getting her like little revenge for him, like reject for him rejecting sure. her in a way. Yeah. Right. I mean, you like, get the sense like that that's a town road, that like a if you're born there, you only know. If she's it. in therapy. She might be like, "Holy shit, I've just been," you know, like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She might really come to terms with it, but at that point, she's in sort of like, I don't know the the extent to which she's very conscious. Like she might be in this very bizarre state of denial. I get the where, sense that she's you know, never left that town before either. Yeah. So it's a mix of denial and a mix of the fact that it's like, there's, there's no other lesson. If that's what dad says goes, that's what dad says goes. This is what yeah. goes, right? Like if you don't exactly. know any better at all. Yeah. I mean, I think regardless of how much she understands or what anybody's motivations are, it's just like supremely fucked up. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. And like, I do find some hope in the idea, though, that she does assert herself at the end yeah. because it speaks yeah. to what is hopefully a trend of her being like, I do have power in these situations and, you know, he can only control me so much. Like I can actually yeah. do something about it, Yeah. even if it's just what is essentially a whimper in the in the state yeah. of things. It is. That's how I wanted to respond. I, I hope to, to find hope there. Yeah, that's and I, I was going to respond that way to you were saying, Andy, which is like, I don't know how much she understands. I frankly don't know how much that matters, but I do yeah. think I do think her moment of clarity at the end is meant to be hopeful in the sense that it is a moment of clarity. Yeah. It is a moment in which she does seem to at least start to understand what it is her father has put her through. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like, she's like, I'm not going to... It's basically her saying, I'm not going to let you profit off of my misery especially considering everything that you've done to me right right like this Mm. is basically my only agency at this point now is to just simply sink this for you she she literally says i'll do it she says in that scene and in the context of the scene the people in the room are meant to think she's saying i remember the bus accident clearly but that's not what she's saying she's talking to her foot she's looking at her father the whole time and she's talking to him and telling him i remember it all clearly now Wow. I know exactly what happened. Right. Mm-hmm. And then, and, and then, she's not talking about the bus. No, accident. and then lies about the yeah. bus accident. She's clear about that. She fucking totally lies about that because there's she doesn't a, want him to get the I money. That. There's a line that I wrote down that Ian Holmes says, and I believe that uh, I believe that he says it to her, but he might have said it to something else. But it speaks to the whole idea of what she's experiencing. He says, "That's why I'm here to give your anger a voice." Right. And so even though his catalyst method of getting action here is, as you said, Garrett, I agree, uh, you know, it's, it's ethically, uh, yeah, yeah, it's, there's, it's a little murky ethically. Um, I do think he believes that assertion, but that's irrelevant to the point that I'm making. The point that I'm making is that is the assertion that 
she ultimately learns. Yeah. And as the young now really like only young person in this town yeah. to suddenly have found like, no, my anger does have a voice. So, so should I choose to give it it? That's scary <laughs> to the town for me. And I think that's, that's a lot of uh, fun to think about. And I just hope there's enough ramps put into place in this town that she can get some things <laughs> yeah. done. And Ian Holm has that other line too, which is, I want to make sure that this never happens again. Right. You mm-hmm. know, and it's kind of like, well, he, he doesn't know what he's in for. Like, like in a way it's true. Like, you know, if, if she ends up coming, if she ends up coming out with what happened between her and her father at one point, like that'll make sure, you know, in a lot of ways that'll make sure that something like that doesn't happen again. Yeah. But that's Ian Holm true. has no, like, you know, when you start, when you start going around in town and, and digging up holes, you just don't know what bodies you're going to find basically yeah. is kind of the whole point of this movie. Like he, he had no idea that this was all going to happen. And, and um, that's funny. And I, I kind of got a read on him though, that this is not the first, I mean, this is literally his job, right? Right. Yeah, yeah. You think that, that he'd know that by now. Right? Right, well, and that, frankly, that was how I read him throughout the movie. I did not, fu- I did not read him as surprised by any of this or like taken aback. Like it seemed to me like he was actually, distracted closed off to it even kind of bored by it because he's done it so many times and knows that these are how townies are but he's got to do what he has to do to get them to unite to get the case like it to me closed off and clueless to the fact that she's being molested even though it's obvious right or should be obvious to someone that's digging he's so singularly focused on getting something anything from somebody who did something wrong also distracted by what's happening with his daughter you know yeah 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 um yeah i i got the read that this was not I didn't read him as coming into this town and going, what a fairy tale. Whoops, what did I find? I read him as like, this is literally what I do. This is always how it is. I just have to do my best to find the right people that will say the right things in court to make money. Now, when I say fairy tale, I don't say that he sees it as a fairy tale. I say is we we see it as a stranger in a strange land. Sort I of get thing. that. Yeah, um, that makes but sense I think to speak to that, I think he has done it before. And one of the reasons that he's so closed off to it is because he's a machine. He's right. jaded to it. Yep. This one is a little bit different than the other ones because it's happening at a time where he's feeling the threat yeah. of my daughter is essentially dead to me. And as we find right. out, eventually does receive at least in 1997, what could have been more uh, uncharitably perceived as a death sentence. Yeah. And uh, yeah. And so I think there's a little bit of that there, but yeah, he is closed off. Yeah. Uh, I just mean fairy tale in terms of no, how we see it. You know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. I do. But uh, I like that. I never thought about it that way where perhaps, and you know, there's nothing in the, that happens in the movie to indicate that this case is anything special to him. Right. You know, like, like there's nothing that happens with his experience in this town or in this case that suggests that it's going to really like have a lasting impact on him. Like about right. the end of it, when it fails, he's like, okay, well, you know what? That's that, and it's done. Tell you know, tell the others that it's over. I'm moving on. You know, yeah. and and the only the reason why you know he's a, his story is included in among the rest of the townsfolk is because his story is like a very interesting reflection on the themes of the film. But yeah. but he is not impacted personally by anything that happens whatsoever. You know, mm-hmm. and then and then we get to know his story perhaps just at, for the purpose of knowing that like. You know, basically everybody's, everyone's got something going on underneath the surface. Like yeah, everyone's a, got a backstory that you don't know. And his motivation for being this, you know, for for doing litigation and class action lawsuits and fighting injustice and just saying there's no accidents anywhere. Um, there's no such thing as an accident. You know, obviously it, it, I, it can't help but be motivated. 
don't know if it's motivated by the fact that his daughter is like in active addiction on the street, calling him up for money, or if, or if it's just simply is a reflection that like, you know, I don't know if it's motivating his, his life or his job, or if it's just a reflection of the fact that like, you know, everybody kind of everybody's not a hip. Yeah, everyone's got problems. Everyone's got a, like, even the people who you think just the fact that he's, out here litigating doesn't mean that he himself is some moral crusader or right. uh or well, has he's not he's not free of struggle together. yes yeah. um I, we, we yeah sorry sorry no it's okay i just we got to talk about this because i this is the thing that struck me the most throughout the movie and and fits right in with everything we're talking about so i want to bring it up now which is and I, it sounds like maybe you guys didn't get this read on him like i did I very strongly got the impression that Ian Holm may have also been molesting his own daughter. It's possible. Yeah, it's um, possible. I that thought about he that. Traumatized I didn't think her. about that until now. But yeah. yeah, that's totally possible. I, I think throughout the so there's a lot of weird parallels. Sarah Polly calls her dad daddy throughout the movie yes. until the end when she finally makes her big cr- proclamation, then she refers to him as dad. Um mm. uh we only ever hear Ian Holm's daughter refer to him as daddy. And it's just That's a weird parallel that both of those, too. yep, they say daddy wow. every time they talk to him. Okay. He spends the whole movie, every time she calls, I think, I read what he's doing in his performance as him knowing he fucked her up and feeling guilty that he fucked her up. And that mm-hmm. this wow. is all his fault and there is nothing he can do about it at this point. Um, I, also I totally think, do that read. I also think that that's why he reacts like he does to the woman on the plane because she was a friend of his daughter's when his daughter was a kid. And it's very possible that she may have shared information with her about what her father was doing to her. And so he's nervous. He has no idea. And he's nervous that she knows something about him that he doesn't want her to know. I very strongly got the impression that he was that he fucked his daughter up through something, you know, by, by molestation, yeah. I think, just based on some of the evidence of the movie. I but. will say that I do get the possible. sense that he was not a great father. Yeah. Um, but I think that the daddy thing, and I thought about this, the daddy thing, I think, is a purposeful cue yeah. to set that off. Yeah, me I too. I think that that's a choice. Is that in the book at all, Andy? I was going to ask I that, Andy. Okay. Because that could yeah. be just, like, one of those ambiguous choices that a filmmaker yep. adds that yep. adds that level, so should you choose to see it. Right. But, uh, you know, keeps it ambiguous so that it doesn't, like, add something to the book that's not there. But I'd be very curious. Because well, it's interesting because the, the only thing we know about him and his daughter, uh, like, from before we meet her, is the story of the spider. Wait, which, by baby. the way, if I was ever going to do a, I was thinking of this, like, if I ever had to do, like, a monologue, like, in an acting class, I'd probably uh-huh. pick that monologue. Because to me, I'm just, like, spellbinded by that whole scene oh yeah that um, sequence is great spider but i mean i wonder what did you guys think about that scene um and the purpose that it serves and then in the narrative at large well that's what's so interesting right about everything that you guys are already talking about and specifically your question andy is because i felt this way about him throughout the whole movie like when he's talking about like there uh, like there are no accidents like there has to be a villain in this to me, it reads as him knowing that he's like the culprit for something. Yeah. And is basically an act, you know, uh, what's, what do they call that when you like, uh, 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 when you yell at somebody for something, but it's actually what you're, you're mad at yourself about. It's a projection. Projection, right? It seems to me like he operates exclusively exactly. on projection of like 
what he did and what he has to do as reparations for what he did, basically. So because of the that, purpose of covering up his own misdeeds. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So no one would ever question, you know, the lawyer who's fighting on the behalf of these poor families right. would be, you know, someone who has like a very dark past with his own family. Sure. But, mm-hmm. yeah. but that's actually that's actually not now in 2020. I think we're all very well aware that. That, that's actually quite common. Right. I know. Yeah. I wonder if that's why that was like so quick for my brain to be like, I think this dude fucked his daughter. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it, it, like it, it really like was so immediate to me that I was like, this, there seems like there's something very wrong with his relationship with his daughter. Why? Well, uh, which Andy so might be why this event is important to him because at the end of this event, he says to this guy something like, well, any man whose daughter would, speak to he says some weird fucking thing to, oh, yeah. to him he says what you need to know he says like so your daughter um you know so the lawsuit is over you know um and then and then uh, sarah polly's dad basically says that well she was lying she made it up and she that's not what she said at all and so ian holm was like okay so the lawsuit is over but you've got a bigger problem on your hands your daughter lied like you know, to, to basically get back at you and, and ruined your chance at getting money. And you need to figure out why that is mm-hmm. like, so, so you, you basically like your daughter's fucked up and you need to figure out why she would, why she would do this. You know? I mean, I think, I think, he, I think he projects so hard in that moment that this becomes a distinct memory for him. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Okay. That, there you go. Yeah. It's so almost, and I think also to too, his awareness, right? It's a little bit of like just time earned wisdom on his part where he might have gotten a read and was just like, you know, my daughter rejected me too right, right, because of right, what I did. Right. And now she's much worse for it. Yeah. You know, right. she rejected me for all the bad things I did. And as it turns out, I'm not the victim of that. She's much worse for it. Right. Right. You know? And like, I don't know if that's yeah. necessarily what he's saying there, but there is right. a, a wisdom of just, e- even if he doesn't pick up on the fact that Sarah Polly and him, you know, are having this inappropriate thing, you know, he might just be telling the guy like, dude, you reject your kids, you know, you fuck with your kids, it, it's going to come back at you. Right. If he in tunes, like we're both, we both did some pedophilic things. Right. That remains to be seen, but it's certainly not, not there. I love that. I think that's. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't stop thinking about it throughout the movie. And I think it was, frankly, I think it was part of why this felt so miserable to me is that like, <laughs> yeah. even the character that to some extent, I think if, because the movie doesn't get expressed about that, you might mm-hmm. not be watching it with that in mind, and thus you might think mm-hmm. of him as slightly more of a protagonist-like character. He is like kind of wow. the lens through which we view most of the movie, you know. So I, I it feel never like... occurred to me until I had the thought where I was like, "Why does everyone call their dad daddy in this? Right. It's fucking stupid and annoying." Right. And then it hit later when I was like, oh, "Okay, okay, okay, I see yeah. what what, they, what could be suggested here." Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, the thing and... is, though, I don't think of him necessarily as like the good thing. But he's like no, my window into the story yes, in a yeah. protagonistic sense. Exactly. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. He's that, our window, and the yeah. reason why I say I resonated with him is that I think the film does well by him yes. in terms of making me understand his motivations. Totally agree. Whereas that is not something that is afforded to necessarily all of the characters. Right. And uh, I would actually say to most of them. Yeah. But he was the one that I think it was, was sort of the, the nucleus to it. The yeah. nucleus to the atom. Um, yes, yes, yes. In oh, reference to Adam Agoyan, Agoyan. whose name is uh, literally wait. spelled Adam, like he's a 1950s yes. superhero. Let me hit you with two things really quick. I still want yeah, to answer yeah. Andy's question, but the other thing is, I here's one of the things that cued me into this like almost immediately. And Andy, it was a little bit because you warned us when you gave us the movie. You were like, it, a little bit of content warning, like it's very traumatic. I sorry, sorry, I keep bringing you these traumatic movies. So I went into this movie with mysterious skin in my brain. 
Right. So I was prepared for there to be uh, pedophilia in the movie, right? Uh, so immediately when the movie starts, I'm trying to figure out, aliens. like, immediately when the movie starts, I'm trying to figure out, like, okay, who's the pedophile, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and, right, and so right. the movie I mean, that's starts... a healthy way to move through sure, life anymore, yes. it seems. But my badass. point, though, my point, though, my point is the, the movie starts with him in a car wash, literally trying to make himself clean. It right. was the first image in the movie. Yeah. I immediately, because my brain was already trying to track this, I was like, whoa, what a what an incredible image. And he literally gets a call from her. She calls him daddy. He's he's like complaining about being trapped inside the thing he's trying to like use to get clean. It's like wow. I, I just was yeah. like, and he ultimately was... gets out of the car and yes. walks through the car wash himself, functionally getting washed. Right. Whether yes. he's clean remains to be seen. It just was like firing on all cylinders immediately yeah. for me. Yeah, that yeah. That's like what was going on with the character. Damn. And by the, so I think now that we're all at least agreeing that like it certainly seems it, it may be implied at least in the movie that that's like I'm like yeah then that imagery I think is pretty intentional. I you think know what I mean? at least wow. at the very least ambiguity around that point is yes. built into the movie. Right, right. So whether it wants to be explicitly suggested, I think that is absolutely in the text of the movie to some yeah. degree. Yeah. Uh, what's I, funny though I think is you're dead on. a lot of the things that yeah. I liked about this movie is that I didn't really know certain information until I got it. Yes. And because I didn't go in with that mindset, it, like I said, it wasn't until later when I made the daddy connection that I was like, oh, okay, mm -hmm. that could be a thing, um, which is probably how it was meant to be consumed. I think so. Because every other strong point of the yes. movie was me going, oh. Okay, two and two, yep. and uh, and so that's and that's how the plot is undone. Is. If I had to enter it from that point of like, welcome to the story of this pedophile I making know. a redemptive lawsuit, like I know, I would certainly feel much more cynical towards it. Yes. Yeah. So basically, wow. what I'm saying is, by by virtue of being a little slower on the uptake, yes, yeah, I had but, a better experience. <laughs> but I agree, with you, Dan. I do think the movie's designed that way. Like, I do yes, agree with yeah. you that I, the movie is designed to, I think, bring me into, and, and I think this finally that gets connection your question. should be made. Like that that car wash scene should become visually resonant the way that you said upon a second viewing. Yes, exactly. Yes, that's why yeah. that's designed to be yeah. like that, I think. And, yeah. And I think this gets to your question then, Andy, about the really the only information we get about him prior to these events is the flashback with uh, his yeah. daughter and the spider story, um, which is this very, you know, um, emotional story where you you do learn a lot about him. And it it, it is one of those events that you you can kind of imagine and sympathize with. Like, that would fucking change you. Yes. That would rock your world and change your perception of the world. And oh, how yeah. dangerous it is and all that stuff, right? Like, that would absolutely, like, alter you in some way. That is, like, a oh, yeah. world-shaking event. So I think that, again, to your point, Dan, that I, I think the way the movie is designed is that I think we are supposed to come into this movie feeling sympathy for him. Yeah. And, fe and feeling like this guy has had a really rough go of it. And, and these things that are happening with his daughter are very hard for him, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I think you are supposed to come in a little bit with a sympathetic lens to him, which I think gets pulled back as the and movie I will goes say, on, right? I still felt empathy with him at the end. Yeah. Because whereas I didn't necessarily think he was a good person, I was like, here's someone who is understanding the loss of his daughter that he somehow brought on himself. Yes. Because I yeah. think whatever you think happened, it is very yeah. clear that he was... Yes. At the very least, a dismissive father. Yeah, even complicit, just the way he sure. speaks to the the uh, stewardess on the plane yeah. is very firm and dismissive, and yeah. just there's a certain station and a ranking, yeah. and you're below it. And you know, and so I I definitely, yeah, that's my he, point. <laughs> right, and, and I agree with you, Dan. I think I think regardless of what we think he may or may not have done, he feels complicit in what has yes. happened to his daughter. So my empathy, yeah. although short by the end, is still there, yeah. and that to me is the hook of the movie is that it's trying to draw empathy with all these characters yeah, yeah. upon the concept of 
you know, essentially, you don't know me. Yep. Don't start judging yet because yep. there's more to the story. You know, yep. yeah. But so but, then to, yeah. to get back to your question, Andy, is like, mm-hmm. I felt very weird about that story where we get this thing about his history with his daughter. And it's this like weird thing that happens and he saves her life. And it's very scary and traumatic because it's like in my read of the movie, I'm like, I'm like, I don't know. This guy just fucking sucks. Like, I hate this dude. Like, I don't need to sympathize with him. But I, so yeah. I am curious what you guys think of that story and like what you think it means. and how. It well, I thought a lot about it. Yeah. I, know, I think I know exactly what it means. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and me too. And, and I think that I might be. I think I might know, know what you're about to say, Dan, but go ahead. Okay, I'll, I'll say it quick then so you can expound upon it. Yeah. Um, that was a chaos element. That yeah. was something that was completely beyond his control that almost completely upended his life. Mm-hmm. Nothing happened as a result of it. They fixed everything. She was fine. Yeah. But it was something that he couldn't have predicted, couldn't have prevented. Complete and utter chaos element that almost changed everything. Yeah. And it's that that fuels his absolute insistence that this bus accident wasn't just ice on the road right he's like oh no it could be a malfunction in the bus it yeah. could be the 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 girder on the on the street wasn't it wasn't as strong as it should be and like he couldn't ex- he just absolutely refused to accept the fact that like it was ice on the road he's trying to ex- he's trying to exert control in like a chaotic exactly world. and yeah. so i feel like yeah. that scene was to show a scene where you know the only t- the only time he would have had control is had it gotten bad enough that he had to puncture her throat right, with a knife. Right, right. And so his fear of not having control has now, decades later, manifested in this idea that, oh, no, no, I'm in control of everything. There's no such thing as chaos, and we can litigate that into truth. Right, yeah. right. That's, that's how I read it. Yeah. Andy. <laughs> well, I, so I, I think that's a really good reading. And, and only since we started this conversation have I surmised this possibility. And I never mm-hmm. thought of this before. So I think that I wonder if the whole speaking of projection, I wonder if if the whole monologue is a, is actually a sort of a displaced memory or mm. like maybe a metaphor for a time that he almost molested his own daughter. Because Ooh. think about what happens in the end is that he almost has to cut her. He almost has to enter. You know, he almost has oh, to yeah. do an emergency. He's the penetrator. Yeah. He mm-hmm. almost has to penetrate her with the knife yep. that could basically accidentally it. It, it might kill her, you know, if yeah, he does it yeah. the wrong way. Yeah. So, and also, I mean, it's interesting he, that the wife is sort of a non-entity. Right. Exactly. Yeah. She, yeah. She's yeah. Not I don't there think we even see her face. If I, I think remember right. correctly, I think, yeah. I'm pretty sure she's just a plot method in we that story. We see her on the bed, breastfeeding yeah. the daughter. Yeah. But and, the the shoulder is up on the face. Yep. Right. She's this way, and even when driving, it's all from you know a, a chin down point of view right. yeah. you know and it's very the only face i think we see is the one where the daughter as a baby looks up at him yeah and yes. he's basically contemplating whether to penetrate it. jesus right. yeah, yeah. oh that's a rough sentence i, mean, I know pretty, it is yeah yeah but i wonder if he's basically you know he's almost trying to con- so the the guys i'm sanitizing zoe's friend that's a good idea his daughter's friend zoe his daughter's zoe's friend allison so she's you know, he, he wants to tell her the truth, but he can't. Right, right. So right. maybe this is a story that more or less, like, gets out his oh, guilt and his emotions like a parallel, without yeah. actually going into the details of what really happens. So I mean, you know how some people tell this, you know, that's what people do, right? Like, yeah, we're not yeah. willing to tell certain stories, so yeah. we tell other stories that are more acceptable. Yeah, but they get they'll the change same the, emotional the plot so that you yeah. get the story Wait, through. I'm going to hit you guys so yeah. hard. He he turns it into a fairy tale, much like the Pied Piper is used as a way to convey the trauma of Sarah Polly's character. 
There you go. Sarah Polly's character I'm uses a fairy it. tale to contr- to convey the yeah. truth of her trauma. He turns the truth of his trauma into a fairy tale that he tells in yep. order to like convey it to somebody else. This, yep. by the way, I do want to recognize that we are all now going way down a rabbit hole on something where we're like, we're just having to sort of like make some assumptions about right. something well, this movie doesn't give. This us is speculation. But that's the yeah. point. Though. But I yeah. will 100 percent say that I liked this movie a lot, but I like it better now. Me, I actually yeah. do too. Now that we're really talking about this, I I feel better about the experience of having gone yeah. through it in as much as I oh, don't it's feel not a friendly movie right I know but I don't feel so crazy for like I, I as I was watching it I was like I'm having a terrible week and this is fucking like making it worse but <laughs> and so so I'm watching it going like am I being unfair to this movie just going like yeah, he's yeah. molesting a kid he's molesting a kid he's mo-, you know what I mean like I, I, <laughs> like, like I can't wait till yeah. someone isolates that audio right I know I know oh, no. uh, I just like what I felt like was I being. Then they unfair? put it over the the Oprah gift. You right, you yeah, get a yeah, car. Yeah. You get a. I just felt like was I being unfair to this movie? You know, and so yeah, like yeah. It, I feel actually a little bit better about how traumatic the experience of this movie was for me, knowing that I wasn't just like uh, actually ma- creating like a worse movie out of it because I was feeling so bad. Do you know what I mean? Ah, yeah, I'm gonna make think, a new think, movie now well, where like haven't... a grizzled lawyer with a shady past knocks on your door, Garrett. Yeah. And he's like, I understand you were traumatized by this movie. Well, that's not just something <laughs> that happens. Yeah, uh, you yeah. know the the studio could be at fault. Maybe one of the one of the the screening rooms, you uh-huh. know, had a bad audience. Maybe they didn't listen to the surveys. We don't know what it is, but I can get you compensation. Yeah. Well, speaking of that, um, it's interesting because if you go into the director, if you go into Adam McGuinn's background, um, and I, I think he's a very interesting director. Um, I've seen I've seen like he's one of those directors where you know if you see enough movies by a certain director, then you're like, okay, fuck it, I'm just gonna like go through all of them um, to see what I find. Um, so he is you know, obviously a, an Armenian Canadian director, but a lot of his movies have these, like, he's certainly an auteur in the sense that like a lot of his movies have these same kinds of themes. Like they're mm-hmm. about kind of like hidden memories about storytelling, about people who lie, but also when you lie, you kind of tell the truth. In fact, mm-hmm. he has a movie called where the truth lies. Um, oh, okay. And, um, yeah, he so, directed some episodes of Friday the 13th, the series. I saw like. that when I was Holy looking him up earlier. Shit, that's wild. Twilight I don't think I've seen well. anything else of his. Yeah, he probably, I mean, he, so the sad thing is like, I, he kind of peaked early. Like he probably hasn't had like that many good, this is like definitely his best movie. And, he hasn't, you know, like, and his movies have gotten like steadily kind of just basically worse as time has gone on. Um, yeah. But he, but they, they all have these themes of like, just, you know, the, the way that people use like performance to, you know, acting as mm-hmm. sort of a performance and the way that we act in our lives and the way that we, you know, art is sort of a way to make sense out of trauma. And I think probably a lot of it is informed by the fact that, you know, as an Armenian, um, you know, the Armenian genocide, um, and he has a movie called Ararat uh, that it's actually, it's pretty good. It came out like 2003. Um, that's all about the Armenian genocide. And That's and one about, of like, like two movies about the Armenian genocide. Yeah. Like, the other being many, the yeah. Oscar Isaac two and a half hour uh, epic, The Promise, the Promise yeah. which is not great, but you do appreciate yeah. that they're at least allowed to acknowledge that the yeah, Armenian yeah. genocide happened. Yeah. Well, that that movie is an interesting one too because it's because it's about um it's it's not about the Armenian genocide as much as it's about a people who are making a movie about the about the genocide. Mm. So there's like a movie within a movie vibe, and it's like about story make how we use stories to make sense out of trauma. And you and often in the movie you don't know if you're watching um 
them filming a movie or if you're watching the movie that they've made, you know, so it's sort of like, there's a lot of meta commentary that he does throughout his films mm. where, where you don't really know, um, you, you know, you don't know, there's like movies within movies. There's a lot of layers. There's a lot of meta stuff going and on. And you're talking about Ararat? Yeah, Ararat's good. Okay. Yeah. Um, I so I would say, but because he, you know, one thing we know about, you know, trauma lives in our DNA, right? So if you have, if you are from a people who are oppressed, who have been historically oppressed, who have experienced genocide, it's going to, that sort of lived memory is going to be passed down to you, not just like emotionally and socially by your parents, but almost they, they recently too. did a study on that. That is like yeah. confirmed mm-hmm. fact now. Yeah. So I feel like that's, that's clearly something that he's interested in. Um, and also the fact that like we live with trauma without even really remembering it. So, mm-hmm. so maybe it's possible that, you know, to get back to Ian, did Ian Holm, you know, did, was Ian Holm inappropriate with his daughter? Maybe he was, and maybe she doesn't even remember it. Kind of like mysterious skin. Yeah. You know? I mean, I, and maybe she's acting out partially in the present because you know she's acting out her trauma without truly remembering it without truly understanding what happened i was gonna say because i think part of what cued me into some of it is that the way she speaks to him makes some of what she's doing feel specifically like vengeance right you know what Mm -hmm. i mean the same way that sarah polly is getting vengeance on her father yeah it's weird that the way she talks to him too she's like uh the, like the, even even when she calls him the daddy is almost like egging him on kind yeah, of exactly. yeah, yeah. Exactly. It, it has that sort of tone to yeah. it yeah um and, and to your point andy though that does not necessarily mean she you know knows her specific trauma either right yeah. you know she yeah uh, or she or book. like sarah Polly, she hasn't yet made sense of it like she doesn't mm-hmm. you know it exists out of the it exists out of the universe of like unknown, ex- emotionally safe and acceptable experience. So like, She's like dad, I started using heroin right about the time I was abducted by aliens. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. It, it's yeah. basically like that. Like she, she, it doesn't make sense. Um, it's not safe. So therefore like her mind will splinter it and, 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 you know, in a million pieces. Yeah. Yeah. A million little pieces. Yeah. <laughs> It's just—it's really. I never thought about it this way at all, and I—and I've this movie's been in my life in a pretty big way for like seventy years. So, right, I'm really glad I—I'm really glad I brought it to you guys. Well, I'm, I'm thanks, Garrett, and thanks, Andy. I, I know I'm more <laughs> glad that you brought it to us than it was an hour ago when we started this conversation. <laughs> so that's good. Yeah, exactly. You know, though, I to speak of it, you know, out of themes and all of that. Yeah. Um, I think that this is a movie that functionally, uh, you know, the way I went into it with, without a preconception. Yeah. I think it's functionally very interesting. I love yeah, I the way that the plot is undone. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times I see that used as a cheat to not complete arcs. Sure. And I don't think that's the case here. I no. think that the arcs that need to be completed are ultimately completed. And then I also think of it just in terms of like what a movie felt like, like what a drama felt like in 1997. When we think about decades and how the decade has a brand on a movie, there is... A 90s drama. I'm doing air quotes yeah. in the listeners' home. A yeah. 90s drama feel that does exist that I couldn't quite put my finger on until about three seconds into the sweet hair after, where I was like, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, ah. a, it's the And so 90s that kicked drama. in and was really a lot of fun to feel. Um, yeah. I love you know, it. And nothing I, else was fun, yeah. but that was really a thing there that, you know, reminded me of it. And, and I remember revisiting American Beauty and being like, ah, this isn't as good as I remember. But now watching the suite hereafter, I bet I could watch American Beauty again and be like, 90s drama. Although <laughs> yeah. for other reasons, that one still might be not the most yeah, fun yeah. watch at this point. Yes. But yeah, this, you know. is, this is the kind of movie that like, you know, when I was a kid, if I would go to Blockbuster with my family, 
I would rent like Back to the Future for like the seventh time. And my parents would probably rent a movie like The Sweet Hereafter or something, you know, just whatever the latest drama was. And then mm-hmm. we'd go home and they would watch it after I went to bed. And then, but then I would sneak downstairs to like peek in and they might yep, be watching yep. something kind of like this, you know. Um, Dude, growing up, that. I had a, our stairs had gaps between them. Mm-hmm. And so when I was like, oh, probably like 10 years old, I came downstairs and through the gaps of the stairs, watched most of Species. <laughs> and that was a very, like, just, and what's funny is when I think back on that memory now, I go, my dad definitely knew I was watching Species. <laughs> I think there's just no way that I was at all graceful to pull that off. Your dad was but, like, ah, my sunny boys, learn yeah. a thing or two tonight. <laughs> this is his awakening. <laughs> this is it. And But what's funny is that it was an awakening, but for completely different reasons besides <laughs> just the presentation of tits. Yeah, so yeah. it was... Uh, who is this Michael Madsen? Why is he so terrible? I was trying to remember his name earlier today, and I couldn't remember it. Thank you. (laughs) You're very welcome. I kept calling him Mads Mikkelsen, and I was like, that's not who I mean, though. (laughs) Michael Mads Mikkelsen. Madsen Michelson. Yeah. (laughs) One one funny little tidbit about the suite hereafter before we move on is that. That's good. I actually have more on it, too. (laughs) We have to make a shirt that just has Mads Mikkelsen on it that just says Michael Madsen. Yeah. <laughs> that is like, I need that so bad. Oh, I love it. Uh, Put it on the board. Put it on the board. Yep. He, um, so this movie, uh, Adam O'Goyan, yeah. uh, was directed, was directed, was nominated for Best Director at the Oscars for this movie. Oh, I didn't know Op- that. Opposite, competing against James Cameron for Titanic. Holy so this was, oh. So this movie is the same year as Titanic, if wow. that. Yeah. Is, which kind of blows my mind because Titanic seems like more recent than that or something i don't know it's it's just weird to think that these those two movies were like peers basically well but i i think one of the things that happens with that andy is like we all saw titanic on the big screen right. so titanic lives with us as like right. a quote-unquote current movie and, yes. and because we didn't see this movie this is a relic of the 90s right you know right, I mean? right exactly. i first saw titanic on a uh i think it was a triple tape oh yeah i did not see that in the theater not okay triple. and then when they were re-releasing it i was like I might see that in the theater, but probably just so I could see the Propeller Guy in 3D. <laughs> and then I went to see another movie in IMAX 3D, and Propeller Guy was in the trailer in IMAX 3D for Titanic. And I was like, well, I'm, I'm good. See that movie now. At the yeah. same time, I wish I did see that on the big screen, because yeah. as much as I'm playing, that's really a cool movie. I like yeah, that. Yeah. I, I think I saw that a couple of times on the big screen, actually. I mean, I was nice. young. I was like in yeah. fourth or fifth grade when that came out, I think. In 1997, I would have yeah. been 13. Yeah. So, yeah. I was 11. Yeah, yeah I remember uh, all the... Yeah. Oh man. But well, so that's sorry. another podcast. <laughs> I, I thought of one more thing that I wanted to uh, to say as you yeah. guys were talking about '90s dramas here. You made me think of something, Dan, which gets all the way back to uh, Ian Holm in this movie and his performance, where we were kind of going. I was saying like he's a little too lifetime. You were saying he's the one that feels grounded. I think what I'm realizing is you're talking about the '90s drama of it all. Is that probably you read it correctly? Is that everybody else is doing a little bit of the melodrama? Because they're mm. in the 90s drama that this movie is. Yeah. And Ian Holm is probably outclassing them so much yeah. so that because I'm watching Well, you this, pointed out, he's stage acting. Right. But my point is, I think the reason that read to me as like, oh, he's like overdoing it. But it read more to you as like everybody else is overdoing it. Everybody else is overdoing it plays to the tone of this 90s drama appropriately. Yeah. His yeah. better performance 
is actually outclassing the kind of 90s drama that the, do you know what i'm yeah, saying is that I, yeah I, I i 100 agree which is why and to that's me, why i was like in that fairy tale yeah, lens was yeah they're not doing air quotes real acting right, right. he's right. doing real acting and when really now that we're getting to it it's they were doing 90s drama action and right. he was playing to the back rows right. at the globe right. right yeah yes and so he stands out like one way or the other he yeah. stands yeah, out amongst this cast in, in an interesting way i think because he is like kind of acting circles around everybody in a lot right. of ways. Like, right. like, like that scene though, where he shows down with Greenwood, dude, yes, uh, where he has like hides behind the sign and then balls us up and tries to come yeah. out. That scene is like the scene yeah. of the movie for me, oh, for sure. and not necessarily because there's anything thematic big happening, although there right. is, but more because it's like two powerhouse performances of probably the two in my read of the in my experience of the movie most compelling characters to me. Yeah, I agree. Um, just kind of having a, a fucking yeah. yeah, chop session. That is some real good shit. Yeah. And Greenwood, I think, is very good in the movie and, and is like maybe the one that is synthesizing these two things, right? Like, yeah. he yeah. is playing a sort of towny caricature. Yeah, guy. he's missing a tooth. He yep. wears flannel. Yep. He likes yep. his beer. He's but having an he affair with the hotel like owner. He's a real fucking person to me, too. Do yeah. You know what I mean? Like, he, yeah. I, I think he kind of synthesizes those things really well. Yeah. And, and he also, um, you know, Green, I I don't really know anything about acting, but but I do know that. You yes, do you act do. differently. Yes, you do. I watched that short film with you in it. Oh, right. And it was a lot of fun, and you were fantastic. Oh, thank you very much. Well, well, I, I do know – one thing I do know is that you act differently on stage sure, than yeah. you do when you're on screen. Right. Yeah. And, and, and Greenwood is – and I think Holm is – and it's definitely possible to act – to bring incredible onstage acting on screen. And I think Holm does that really well here. But yeah. Greenwood definitely is acting – in a way like Greenwood is playing the straight man, you know, and, and yeah. he always, he's always playing the straight man. Like in every movie he's in, he's yeah. always, even when he's kind of fucked up and slightly like there's something kind of sinister going on to the surface, he's still kind of playing the straight man. And I would say like, you know, he's a little, he's just good I, at that. He knows how to do that. You know, I was, I was about to refute that. And then I just thought myself out of it of home as the robot in uh, alien. Oh yeah, yeah. Because he does have the humorous elements where, you know, he talks about the odds and you know, that kind yes. of a thing. Like I'm yeah, not saying, but the reason that that works isn't because he's being goofy. It's that he's being the straight man to an inherently ridiculous situation. Right. So right. yeah, I, I'm not going to, I'm going to double down and agree. I'm also going to ask, did either of you guys watch the fantastic Mike Flanagan adaptation of Gerald's Game starring Bruce Greenwood? Uh, I didn't, actually. I and have. Yeah. I... Awesome. But Bruce Greenwood yeah. is 64 years old, and that motherfucker is shredded. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. absolutely shredded. And so now whenever I see him in an old movie, I was like, man, he was shredded when he was pushing 70. He must be so ripped under that flannel here in The Sweeter After. Yep. He's got to be fucking like The Rock. Well, that's what I, I was thinking of when I mentioned that he plays the straight man, but there can also be something sinister under the surface yeah, yeah. because in that movie, I mean, you kind of get the sense that he's the straight man, but also, you know, he's he's kind of got some darkness, you know, and, yeah. and, yeah. and that's that's what he does so well. Oh, when you first said straight man with a little sinisterness, I thought you were talking about home. But I think oh, that that applies to him home. as well. You're talking about Greenwood, oh, though, home, when you yeah. say it. Yeah. And that's, that's, that was yeah. the point that I made with Alien. But, okay, now I hear you. I'm sorry. Well, I, I, uh, I, I, um, I do think – so something I think about a lot, Dan, that I'll probably repeat yeah. on our podcast forever is something Michael Pressman told us in our interview with the director of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles he 2. He was, like, the best, most gracious he, man. He was amazing. And he did – he said one really incredible thing, I thought, that I, I will probably repeat forever about stage versus film acting. 
and he was like, you know, stage acting, it's the thing that you always hear, which is you have to project to the back of the room. So you have to make sure the back of the room understands who you are, yeah. your position on things, what you think. The a camera doesn't work on stage. Right. He yeah. said a camera, the camera reads your mind. Yeah. That, that's yeah. what the camera does. The camera can read what you're thinking. And so acting for the camera is like so minimal because right. the camera is actually doing all the work. And I think that Greenwood is an actor that makes that very clear. Yeah. Greenwood yeah. is an actor where he's not doing a lot. You are just, the camera is just reading his mind for you. Where yeah, Ian yeah. Holm is a classically trained stage actor, and you can see him trying to make sure you understand through yeah. his physicality yeah, he's going what bigger. it is that he's feeling and going, you know, and going through. Well, just um, think of the facial yeah. expressions yeah. that he has, like when his daughter calls him. Right. Like he he makes it. He always makes tries to make it very clear exactly how he feels yes. about the fact yes. that he's picking up. Whereas, and he could probably just pick it he's up. Like, Let me like, think about this a little really bit. We don't really need that in a way, <laughs> right. you know? Yes, yeah. Um, yeah. I just have to think for a little bit. That was really right. just an excuse for me to bring up that thing that Michael Pressman told us, because I think yeah. about it all the time now. Well, it's that's something really that... Uh, because, like, you think, whenever you hear about Robert, like, think about Robert De Niro. Like, he's an actor who, obviously, you know, is one of the all-time greats. But one thing I hear people praise him a lot for is that he is the best, he is the best at thinking on screen. Uh-huh. Like... You know, just goes, like think about how many Robert De Niro exactly. Like think about how many Robert De Niro movies where there's you know that scene in Goodfellas where where he's in the bar after he's found out after yep, he smokes found the out, cigarette, like, he's he gonna murder the, the guy. You watch like, him decide to murder a man and he never yeah. actually says anything. Exactly. Well he doesn't even move. Yeah. 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 That's he's just coming in terms of the fact that he has to murder this guy who bought a fucking car with his wife, even though he told them not to do that. What and are you like, doing? You what are you doing? 30 seconds. Yep. What's the matter with you? Wall, uh, you know, in the, in a God of Devita plays or, or Sunshine of the Love. I think it's, yeah, Sunshine of yeah. the Love. Yes. Yeah. Yep. And then, and then, and who can do that, but Robert De Niro, but, but I guess right. the answer is a lot of people can do that yeah. uh, because that's what the screen, that's what the camera can do. But, Robert De Niro is just so fucking good at it. Yeah. One of the fun things of dating an actress, actually, we were watching Hannibal. She'll just be like, "That guy's a Broadway boy." Like she uh-huh. recognizes these, you know, people yep. like that. But it's funny too because I'll like see an actor that I don't, you know, recognize, and I'll be like, "Is this guy a theater guy?" And it's because they're gesturing, yeah. they're going yeah. big with it. And nine times out of ten, the gesturing guy is a theater guy. But yep. then the person who's doing like the metered performance, uh, you know, has never set foot on stage ever. Right. You know, yeah, it is funny, too, to I watch someone like a Jake Gyllenhaal, who is a screen guy, but now has a lot of success in theater. Yeah. And then you watch something like Nightcrawler and he's doing yeah. Bruce Greenwood, where he marries that sort of thing, where it's like yeah. this guy's playing big, but he's not playing right. like he's playing expressive, but he's not playing big. It's it's yeah. it's hard to describe. But, you know, what I mean. know what you mean. Yeah. You're picking up what I'm putting down. Oh, yeah. And then you watch Okja. And this is a guy. <laughs> Who's playing wow. to the theater two states over? I know. Yeah, and he's just, cry- <laughs> but and it works. He's I know. Film guy. Every time I think about him in Okja, all I can think about is forgive me for this, but like, ah! yeah, like, it yeah. just that sound is like what he sounds like through the whole movie. Well, he's uh on my Netflix. That's my user icon is the picture of him oh, in nice. Okja. Yeah. So oh, I have me a too, dude. I'm not even kidding. Yeah. <laughs> oh, right on. <laughs> well, I have one for to be. like. Uh, like you know, so me and my fiance Anne and my friend Jacob, we share Netflix. Uh, you know, we're, we're on the same Netflix. Yeah. And Anne is Jonathan Van Ness from Queer Eye. Nice. I am Jake Gyllenhaal from Okja, and my friend Jacob, who who I love, who's you know, I, I kind of like you know, like to make fun of him as kind of like a just sort of like a hard a hard 
hard-faced kind of brooding guy i i chose uh uh what's steve harrington from uh stranger things oh, yeah, oh nice, nice. <laughs> nice. i go. um i wrote a couple small notes that i want to talk about one is that during that Please. final hearing they do a very shallow and not decisive split diopter yes yeah, uh, and it's really well used. It doesn't. It took me a second to even realize that was the technique that they were using. Yep. Um, but it was it was done in like a very shallow way that was super effective mm-hmm. and just like really worked in the moment. Yeah. I actually I think I noticed it one other time in the movie too. I cannot remember. They did where, it a couple times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's but I agree with you. It was like normally when I see split diopter, you can see the hard line. Yeah. Like if you know what to look for, you can see it. I don't know how he did it, but he achieved that split diopter effect in like a He yeah, did it without shallow, actually putting up a right. divider. Yeah. We're all used to seeing it in horror where someone looks around the corner right. and then there's a wall, so right. there's an actual split. This was just quite literally, he's two yeah. feet behind the proceedings. So right. there was actually no stark divider. It, it wasn't as that much was of a really close-up well shot, too. Right. It was almost right. like a yeah. meat. It was like a medium split diopter or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was, yeah. It was very interesting. I agree with you. It was like very effective. Also, midway through, I laughed out loud a little when it just like dropped a hardcore, tragically hip needle drop on us. <laughs> yeah, I was like, "This is from 1997. <laughs> this is Canadian this is as fuck." 1997. Yeah, this is. Oh, that was pretty good. And the, and then song, the song that plays was, over the uh, the end credits is the, the Sarah Polly cover of that song. Oh no way! Yeah. Okay, yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. And I, then, um, I love the soundtrack of this movie. To me, the it was the, really the good. score, the music, and the song and the original songs are are, are just who did the score? So fucking good. Uh, Michael Dana. Um, he 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 does like a whole lot of stuff now, but he he came kind of got started as like Adam. He's like Adam McGoyan's main guy for, for okay. music, but yeah. But now I he actually, does. I think he does Ang Lee's stuff like he, he you know he's like oh a, it's michael a with a y yeah. Andy, in some um, weird way i feel oh, like he did moneyball a... and yeah oh, he's nice. got a bunch oh, yeah. of life of pie actually moneyball has a really good score no one ever talks about that moneyball is a really I exceptional love moneyball movie. that's a great movie in uh in some weird way andy i feel like i i know your music taste better than yeah. your movie taste and I uh, definitely, as I was watching the movie, I was like, oh, I know why Andy likes this movie. It's got nothing to do with the movie. It's, <laughs> he loves this soundscape. It's like, oh, this yeah. is totally a soundtrack and, and score for Andy. It's yeah, got a great tone to it. Right. Yeah. It does yeah, have a cohesive score had been tone. Like, if, the, if the score was like, you know, Hans Zimmer doing his wanky electric guitar stuff, right, I, I probably, right. I mean, yeah, I still would have liked it, but not quite as much. Right. Oh, right. yeah. Yeah. They're like, oh man, what happened to that bus? But it's like, junkie XL. I also noticed, I just, I really love the name of the motel. Do you guys remember what the motel was called? It was called the Bide a While. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's all one word with hyphens, Bide a While. And then, like, Bide your time a while. Yes, where you can go Bide a while. And that's a really fun – actually, now that we're talking about the movie, that is a really fun way to – that's essentially what's happening. It's like, right. hey, just bide your time. It's a small town. You'll get out of here one day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then at some point in the beginning, someone pulled out a Cheetos bag, and the Cheetos bag, it, like, broke open my memory box. Mm. Cheetos, in my head, I think of orange. Yep. But Cheetos bags used to be blue. And they have a blue uh, Cheetos bag, and as soon right. as that opened up, just a hundred different summer meals came flooding back to me. Uh-huh. Every barbecue I ever went to, I was Go like, blue Cheetos bags. Are you fucking kidding me? I remember and the blue so Cheetos to bags. compare it to the themes, 
we do repress trauma because <laughs> I have eaten Cheetos to the point of what could be largely considered trauma many times <laughs> in my life. And I forgot that they have blue Cheetos bags. But man, oh man, they came back. But then again, maybe it's not trauma because as soon as I saw it, I was like, I'm buying all the motherfucking Cheetos yeah. when I go grocery shopping. I think Chester Cheeto looked different back then, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, and for some reason you're just you're making me think of like the end of this movie. Um, you know, where she says, like, everything was strange and new. Mm-hmm. And it sort of makes me think, like, you could look at her life now, like, oh, man, she is so, you know, her life is over. You know, she had this promising young life, and now she's a paraplegic. But at the same time, now you know that she's she's basically not going to be, you know, she's not going to be a victim anymore, right? So, like, so yeah. it, took, it took this tragedy to upend her life in such a way that she actually took some control over her life. Whereas in, imagine if her life had just gone on as, as normal, like where then yeah. her success as a musician could theoretically just be so tied to her father that she might not ever be willing to like speak out against him. And yeah. she also might not have ever realized, I don't want right. to say not ever realized, but not have ever given herself a chance to process the right. fucked up nature of what was being done to her. Right. And yeah. So now she understands that she's a victim of this, but also at the same time, it's like she's like the hope is she's going to take control of her life. The downside is in whatever limited ways she might be afforded that opportunity yeah. to do yeah. so. I mean, and those she, have been severely. limited. Yeah. Right. Now she's a paraplegic still teenager that still lives with her parents. You know what I mean? Right. It's like it's, yeah. So yeah. it's it's a very I would it's I not, mean, it's, it's, not it's a victory, well, but it's mom. a very small personal victory that I I yeah. I. Unfortunately, part of the misery of this movie was like also feeling like, yeah, great. I mean, I, I that is good that she was able to process this and yeah, recognize though, this. But I like, say, this isn't this that's is no the better. hardest that's, that's not turn to make, yeah. though. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah. I agree. You know, that's that's the thing. Like, that's the kind of switch that gets that doesn't like the bell is rung. You know, it doesn't get unflipped. Yeah, and right. so, you know, to be able to change that mentality is is some of the most difficult work of right. all. And yeah. she's done that. And I think that's hopeful. But, yeah, at the same time, it's like, all right, now what? Yeah. Go to school? Yeah. <laughs> like, what yeah. are you going to do? I know. What are you well, going to eat, eat snow your way out of here? There's <laughs> nothing else you can do. It's kind of interesting that um, I'm, I'm looking up on IMDb right now, the, the tagline. Um, <laughs> and I remember, I remember, so the tagline to this movie is, Sometimes courage comes from the most surprising places, yeah. which, which is which sounds like, un, you know, obviously the movie studios are always trying to like, you know, the taglines are always they, the studios come up with them right to to try to like sell the movie. Yeah. Right? yeah. So that makes it sound like very uplifting, like courage comes from the most surprising places. Like, what is this fucking free Willy? You know, dun, um, dun, but, dun, dun, starring Michael but, Madsen. No, no, he was free Willy, too. Sorry. But actually this movie like but this movie isn't. Is like her quote unquote courage in the end is not really triumphant at all. It's just simply like she's doing what she can do to regain yeah. some agency. And now, you know, that, that obviously that takes courage, but the movie's trying to make you think, like, huh, how can we sell this? What kind of fucking tagline can we use to sell right. this? Movie? I have another tagline for you on the poster, and this speaks to at least what I took from it. Um, the poster says, There's no such thing as the simple truth. Right. Oh yeah, that yeah, and I that, think that's because that that's what resonated with this yeah. movie the most for me is just like, yeah. you know, one of my faults is I can be judgmental, and one of the ways to fight that that I always yeah, employ is to remind. I'm sorry. 
Well, and you know what? The fact that you had a little moment there, I shouldn't take that personally because I don't know what you're dealing with. <laughs> and so, oh. but like that's the that's the thing that well, I actually actively employ when I think I'm being judgmental is yeah. I go, wait, consider the fact that you know nobody knows my shit, so I don't know theirs. Yes. And uh, and so that's that's where the movie resonated, and that tagline speaks to how it worked for me. I, by the way, I actually like your read on the movie in that regard too. Like, I, 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 well, and I just want to—I think after this whole conversation and feeling like I've been very negative about the movie, that did not occur to me as I was watching the movie because of the way I watched the movie. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean. Um, and I, I very much appreciate like your take on that because that—that that actually, I, I think that is in the movie like very clearly that that is something yeah, that yeah. this movie is trying to address, and I think that layer. Um, add something to this that helps me with how miserable it is. Do you know what I mean? It, I think it somewhat it adds answers some the question of what's the, the point. Yes, 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 exactly. yes, yeah. And what's funny, so I appreciate here's the sick that. part about it. The sick part about it is that when I say, oh, it means that there's more to people and you should consider that, that sounds hopeful. Yeah, right. But in my life, it's just like, it always employs like there's more to people, which is why you should never, never trust, trust anyone. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. like that hope comes from the fact that I have this hard-coded cynicism yeah, yeah. that is ruining my my existence from the inside. So, yeah. you know, uh, we're rotten. <laughs> it is what it is. Yeah. But no, I, I actually, this is a great conversation about this. I, and it's I, what's funny is I'm glad you brought up the idea that he might have been molested, that yeah, Ian yeah. Holmes' character might have been molesting his daughter, because it occurred to me late in the movie, and then I half dismissed it because I was like, ah, I might just be projecting that. Right, right. And now that we've put that out there, I think you're right. I think it is in the text of the movie, yeah. in a way that's meant to be ambiguous enough that it doesn't have to be there. Right, right. Because if it's there, then the movie becomes about that. It's yeah. too stark and upsetting of a yeah. thing. Like that's why. That's why, like, why like I something had such like a hard blind time spotting. Because yeah, I, like, I read it that way. If you watch Blind Spotting, you go, oh man, this is a movie about race. But it's like, oh, all these other movies about race are just about slaves. Right, and it's, right, right. you know, that, and, and in the same way, it's only a new, you know, thing that we're able to make movies about race that aren't necessarily about slavery. And it's like, we're not at that point necessarily yet with pedophilia or molestation. If a movie's right. about that, right. it's about that. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's yeah. like this is a movie that by keeping it in the subtext can make it about that without making it literally a movie about yeah. molestation and yeah, instead I, is a I movie about a, people, you know? That's a really mm -hmm. good point. Like I wouldn't call this, you know, and maybe because of where I'm where I'm coming from with my like social positioning and my life experience, I I wouldn't say this is a movie about molestation, but like but it's the movie about the fact that the truth is a very um is a very kind of is it the truth is hard to pin down yeah. basically there's always is, more information is what i would say mm -hmm. and, but but you're right though like but the fact that it manages to not simply be pinned down as you know a movie about this one yeah. specific subject yeah. well, wait, is credit even, to it even as a movie that does specific it's not even like the movie dances around that there is a character that is expressly right and right. Melissa. Exactly. you know it's like so it's it's interesting that it also it does get very direct about those things. Yeah. That's why I was fascinated by what, in my view, what I considered the storytelling choice to to not uh, address it specifically with Holmes' yeah, character. Yeah. You know, yeah. it was very interesting to me that like, and and maybe to some extent that's because um, maybe we're ultimately meant to think it is Sarah Polly's story and not Ian Holmes' story yeah. or something. You know what I mean? I, I don't know exactly, but or how about well, this? I think nowadays the, the conversation we... is furthered ahead, enough that we we just we've decided that it's the sort of thing that should be addressed directly if it's yeah. addressed at all. Right. And so it seems a little bit 
off flavor to a contemporary taste to keep right. that as something in the texture of the movie. Yeah, yeah, but I yeah. think it's ultimately stronger because of it. Yeah, you're probably right. Or is Adam McGowan trying to fuck with us? He gets us to identify and step into the shoes of Ian Holmes' character, right. who is obviously in like an incredible amount of denial. Mm-hmm. And so then we come away from the movie with so much denial that it never really occurs to us what he yes. could have been doing. Because we yeah. assume he's the protagonist. Right. He's probably he's probably fairly innocent in all this. Like yeah. maybe he was a shitty dad, but you know, yeah. it didn't occur to me the fact that it's not that just that he was a shitty dad, but he was uh, an abusive dad, you know. Right. Like, and, and and Dan, to your point, it's like it, and and maybe the movie is designed for you to not pick up on that until you're almost done with it. Or maybe mm. not not even until you see it a second time. And yeah. and so you're meant to sort of, as you're saying, Andy, kind of go through it with this impression of him only to then eventually discover like maybe some other truth about him, which then yeah. then plays back into all of these larger themes that you guys are talking about, right. about how exactly. this movie is about truth and what truth really yeah. is. And, I, and I, really, even the too, most like, terrible <laughs> villain has a story in terms yeah. of like very sure. few people wake up and decide to do something bad. And the nature of evil is that so much of it is enacted in the guise of I'm doing something good. And yeah. it's it's unrealized evil. It happens all the time. And it's awful. It's, that's why it's so insidious. Mm-hmm. And so here's the thing where this guy, I don't know if he's necessarily evil, but he certainly has some evil things to him. And yeah. this movie allows us a allows us an opportunity to see where his motivations are. Yeah. Uh, in doing yeah. these actions like because I, I immediately had a problem where I was like I don't think this was anybody's fault and he's going to try and like sponge right. some money from yeah. somebody yeah. but at the same time I was like if I lost my kids I would just feel like there's some sort of universal upset that needs to be corrected right. and money might be a path right. which with which to get some of that right. and so like it becomes this mixed thing where I go this is a thing that ethically I don't really agree with but like morally I'm kind of on board with and I think that's a lot of what this is parsing out there yeah. And I mean, what I, about I, um go ahead, go, go ahead, Andy. You've been trying to ask that for a while. Go. Um and I forgot what I was gonna say. You said what about <laughs> what about what about love? Don't oh. you love love? <laughs> I care about you? No, I don't know. Go ahead, Gary. That's all right. Um well no, I don't know what I was gonna say. It's okay. Fuck. We're all lost. Oh no, right. we just so fucking sorry. melted that's down. Okay. No, that's okay. It's all right. Uh, what can um, you do? Oh, uh, I know what I'm gonna say. Go okay. hit it. All right, so but first let whole, me no I'm <laughs> the whole monologue of the of the spider and the knife I remind yes. it so my my friend Jacob like has a theory from and maybe it's not uh, his own theory but from the Silence of the Lambs to circle back to, we were talking about Hannibal before the show started oh yeah we were um so you know in Silence of the Lambs there where the title comes from uh, yes. the monologue where Clarice Starling is talking about. Uh, this memory she had as a child of, you know, the lambs wouldn't stop screaming, basically. Um, and just like they wouldn't stop screaming, they wouldn't stop screaming. And so his theory is that that's actually a trauma memory that she might have been, you know, maybe possibly sure. being molested by her father. Mm-hmm. Um, and But she dissociated and blocked out and froze up. So, but, you know, one thing about trauma and like going into that freeze response is that like your sense your senses are very heightened, but like so so she might have you know like in mysterious skin how he remembers the blue light, mm-hmm. but thinks that that was like an alien, you mm-hmm. know. But but actually that was just the blue porch light from from his coach's house. Mm-hmm. So so there's this idea that in Silence of the Lambs, um, maybe the maybe the lambs were crying and screaming while this was happening. She remembers that, but she's blocked out everything else. So it's mm-hmm. like a, it's like a misplaced 
or displaced trauma memory. Mm-hmm. So perhaps that, um, like his monologue about the spider and the knife is kind of a similar role where, but you would never like, but the cool thing about that monologue in Silence of the Lambs is that, you know, Jonathan Demi and Jodie Foster, like they never wink at the audience right. about what's happening. It's like up to you to completely decipher that, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so, so maybe the same thing is happening in this movie where I mean, it's completely up to you to decipher uh, Ian Holmes' dark past and figure it out. Uh, but it never, it never winks at you and says, this is what right. happened. Right. I, mean, Dude, I, I, I never I, thought about that with Silence of the Lambs. That's awesome. And I think that that's, that's probably really accurate thought. because that is a theme that runs throughout the entire thing. And you think know, about like, like Hannibal Lecter is a refugee that's her. processing trauma. Everybody goes mm-hmm. through it. And if you read the book Hannibal, it does ultimately lead to Clarice and Hannibal sort of becoming lovers at the end. Yeah. And seeing that when I read it, I was in like freshman year of high school and I just read it as like, oh, they respect each other's intellect. But to see that as a mm-hmm. ultimate union between the perfect aggressor and victim mm-hmm. returning to their that is like right. That blows my mind. That's fantastic. Yeah. And also um, when you think about it with Silence of the Lambs, like the fact that, you know, when she tells that story to Hannibal Lecter and he doesn't like he's so brilliant, he must know what's happening. He must like if this is really what's happening in the movie or in the book he must know that she's disclosing to him this like repressed trauma. Mm-hmm. And yeah. he, he could so easily ruin her whole, he could so easily shatter her life and her illusion by just telling her exactly what happened, but he mm. doesn't. And, mm-hmm. and he would because he's, you know, he's a fucking psycho. Yeah, though, he but, wouldn't though, because that's the one thing I love about that movie is that the reason why Clarice is able to sort of get past his defenses is because he respects her. Exactly. And he That's the weakness that he has, is he goes, exactly. she's as smart and as cunning as me. It's typical, yes. you know, yeah. uh, and killer, he, victim, the same right? thing. Yeah, two, two sides of the same cloth, cop, yeah. criminal. Uh, well, he, I, I don't know. I think, you've pro- <laughs> I think you've probably gotten far enough into the show, Hannibal, uh, to have realized this, Dan, but they, they get pretty explicit over the course of the show, Hannibal, that <laughs> oh, yeah. Hannibal only kills people he considers to be rude. Rude. Or, yeah. or you know what I mean? So, like, yeah. as long as he has a mutual respect for you, you're safe. You're good. You're good. As long as you're a respectable human in his mind, now, what he considers rude could potentially fluctuate. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, yeah, like, right. but uh, as long as he considers you a respectable person, you're safe. You're good. You're That's good right. to go. Yep. And he oh, respects man, the Clarice degree so that I want to live that, his life know, minus yeah. the murder and cannibalism <laughs> right, is unreal. Right. Yeah, yeah. Well, he respects Clarice so much that he's not going to, like, you know, shatter her illusion. Like, he's yes. going to let her kind of or figure that face. out on her own time. You know what I yes, mean? Like, yeah. he's going to. He's going to let her figure that out. Basically. I also That's think the one thing like... that I think is clear is that Hannibal Lecter is a good psychologist if he chooses to be. Right. Like, he gets the science. He just, you oh, know, I mean, he's, he knows how to play no one better, but he likes him. to play there's bad no music. Better. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Great. Man, I have, like, more thoughts and things, but they're all Hannibal-related now, which is not what this podcast <laughs> is about. I mean, we were going to close this out by talking about recommendations, and we could switch that to <laughs> Hannibal just, talk. The I mean, it could just be a Hannibal recommendation. We're limited through Hannibal Season 2, Episode 5, because right, that's where I'm at. I know. Yeah. Plus, like, we probably, I mean, uh, I believe it is new to Netflix, so yeah. maybe we shouldn't spoil too many details for listeners and just uh, try and loosely talk about how excited we are and much we like that show and can encourage them to go watch it. To anybody yeah. who is Watch who Hannibal. is like me, who is a TV skeptic, not in terms of you don't like TV, but in terms of like 
why am I going to make time for 30 of something when I can yes. just watch one movie? One is <laughs> um, I am that guy. I, yeah, I figured with quarantine, I should put a couple shows under my belt. And when Hannibal yeah. came to Netflix, being a horror junkie and seeing that the horror world was like, this is the show to watch, I figured I would press play. And being a network show, it does paint in broad strokes. So it's very easy to follow. But that is not to... to to say that it is anything less than good because it's actually quite brilliant in the way that it maximizes the form of the limits of network TV. And I am so, so, so glad that I started it. And I absolutely cannot wait to wake up before my girlfriend tomorrow so that I can squeeze in an episode yeah. while I'm sitting in bed before she wakes up. It's going to be fantastic. Well, yeah. Like I it's that kind of, The little windows, I'm oh going to fill God. it in with that kind of stuff. Well, it. you're also going to crush that in like within a few weeks. Like you're almost yeah. done, basically. I That's did the first through. half of season two of all the first five episodes literally yesterday and today. Dude, um, oh my where God. it just powers through. I did that show the same way where like the first season I was like, yeah, this is good. Like I like this. This is cool. And so yeah. I'd watch like an episode, two episodes, an episode, two episodes. By the time I got to season two, I was like, I'm fucking on this train. I got to see what's up with these boys. They are hot. <laughs> they are hot for each yeah. other. What are they doing? That this this series has like the hottest cast across the board. Yes, yep. um, oh, it's gonna get really. It's, it, it gets even hotter. It's fantastic, just, and the fact that like stop getting hot. regardless yeah. of gender, they all want to kiss each other on the mouth. Oh my God, in every yeah. scene, I'm just like these two people are no matter who it is. It's crazy. It's phenomenal. and I'm sitting at home like to all of you. This is oh, I'm so mad show. the one character died. She was my favorite. Yeah. This is somewhat rude, but I do not think it is inaccurate. It would not be inaccurate to say that the show Hannibal is about a dude that wants to eat another dude's meat so bad, but society <laughs> is just like, dude, you can't eat that dude's meat. That's not good. And You've brought like, rudeness oh, but I'm into it. <laughs> Definitely. So a podcast is where we all come together to <laughs> share ideas. So tell me, Will. Do you have any ideas that you would like to share about yourself? <laughs> so I'm following you, the, the format yes, that we talked yes. about. <laughs> you can definitely say pretty much every character, maybe except for Jack Crawford on that show, is is definitely somewhere in the middle. I mean, obviously every human is in the middle in terms of their uh, sexual orientation, but oh, especially yeah, yeah, yeah. in this show, everybody Next, is I just mean like super fluid, yeah. They very, very clearly are playing into physical tension between yeah. people. And for most humans, that is somewhere on the scale of sex. Right. And yeah. this is just a show where it's not expressly doing that, but it's positively dripping with that vibe, which I think is essential because if you read any of the Harris novels or if you look back at something like Manhunter or Silence of the Lambs, yeah. They very much tie in the idea of, like, there can be a fetishization to murder. There right. can be a fetish, fetish, fetishization of power <laughs> exchange. Right. And what world is there more power exchange than the bureaucracy of investigating murders? <laughs> and so the fact that it, like, decides to wear that a little bit on its sleeve yeah. is something that I, I think gives the show strength. You know, we talk about it in a novelty laughing kind of way. But I think it gives the show strength, it gives the show a timelessness, and it allows them to dig into the idea of like getting off on murder without necessarily making it feel exploitative. Yeah. By tying it into that, it becomes a pathology, but then they bring emotion to pathology. It, it's really remarkable. To take it is. I, I'm consistently impressed with the ways that it feels like quote-unquote queer cinema, yeah. but is also yeah. like some of the most mainstream shit I can imagine in right. terms of we all get a boner for like, ooh, murder! You know, yeah, and yeah, it's, yeah. It's, yeah. 
Well, Brian Fuller scratches you know, the like, you know what's sexy? Sex <laughs> that network TV kind of has, but like, yeah. you know, yeah. and also Showgirls. That's how I describe Showgirls. <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, oh man, I, I could talk the praises of Hannibal nonstop. So I really great. love it, and a lot of it is the fact that I'm just surprised at how much I love it. Yeah, I mean, it. it uh, frankly, I mean, this is going to be a very odd comparison, but um, it. To me, it is not like that dissimilar from something like the Fast and the Furious universe, where it's like <laughs> yeah. what I love about it I don't is, have friends. I have is how weird and cheesy it is, but also how much the weird cheesiness actually plays into some real thematic yeah. shit that actually has some like resonance. They love you it. You know what I mean? I don't have friends. Yeah. I have breakfast. You know, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and actually, I was thinking about it before. I mean, one of the things that I think draws uh you know to my previous point about it being like kind of purposefully kinky is there's no denying that the design of hannibal lecter with the mask and the straitjacket is designed to have a bdsm trigger to it right right that is part of the appeal of it that's part of the i mean fuck the the buffalo bill the guy he's trying to to catch is having some sort of dysphoria and you know whereas that doesn't age well in terms of uh yeah you know connecting dysphoria to murder yeah. Well, yeah, but the thing is, I think that the movie does validate making that distinction. But yeah. you know, with time, it changes. I, I don't yeah. want to uh, criticize the movie for it too much. But the fact that that tie is in the DNA there, it's it's there. It's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and and speaking of like, to like when his image of Hannibal as the basically like the 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 pitch black elk that oh, like, Antler Man. The yeah. Antler Man. I mean, that, that is, is awesome. a very sexualized image too. Like when you yep. think of the the muscular nature of it, it's almost like he's wearing a BDSM costume. Well, even so, in a recent one, they put Hannibal. He had his hands tied to a plank, and he was in a noose over a bucket. And it's like scary because you know, kick the bucket, he could get hung. But on the other hand, I was like, this whole thing of his hands strapped on a cross is simultaneously like a Christ-like thing, but in this realm, much more of a bondage thing. Yeah, yeah. You know, and it yeah. is a bondage trigger there. And uh, I, I don't know if you either of you guys know this. Tori had to tell me this. Um, uh, Brian Fuller does refer to that antler creature as the Wendigo. That uh, That is in his, ah! yeah, in his uh, sort of show Bible that is referred to as the Wendigo, which actually adds a lot of thematic resonance to Will seeing that all the time and interpreting it mm. as a version of Hannibal because the Wendigo is specifically a shapeshifter. And the show, is, wow. as the show is, as all stuff Hannibal Lecter related is, about uh, is the cop and the killer the same thing? Yeah. Could, could one shapeshift into the other? You know what I mean? Like, that's kind and he's of, just the most manipulative right. person can, who's ever lived. Can someone, so. can someone as evil as him sort of make his evil sh- make someone else shapeshift into his evil do you understand you what I'm see, saying? a shapeshifter is something that can take many different forms <laughs> tell me will is there a form you have not exposed to me yet <laughs> <laughs> that's great so yeah, much he, fun and then will just says something like uh uh yeah i got some uh forms from the office that i need to fill <laughs> out yeah. and he's like I don't know about uh, shapes, but one shape I'd like to be in one is that of a living being. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'll throw this out there. Yeah. Uh, just yesterday, um, I watched E.T. for the first time in literally yeah. 30 years. And as a child, I did not care for E.T. at all. Yeah, it's not a fun it. movie for kids at all. It's not it's a like, fun movie for kids. It's, for, it's simultaneously scary and too fucking sappy. For it's melancholy as fuck. Yeah, yeah. 
It's not and it's so, not a fun kids movie at all. Watching it yesterday, not only did it just completely knock my socks off. I mean, what a fantastic movie. Yeah. But what was crazy is like the whole time I was watching it, I was like, I if I was a kid, I still wouldn't like this. And the reasoning behind it is it's so goddamn melancholy front to back that as a kid it's like not fun. As an adult, also not fun. But man, was my inner child like squealing, oh my God, even though yeah. my actual child doesn't like it at all. But when they <laughs> when they're child. riding uh, when they're riding their bikes and the cops all pull up and it does the close up on the cop like with the gun mm-hmm. and you're like Elliot, what are you gonna do? And they all start flying. Man, the the waterworks were real, and it wasn't even like I was sitting there like what's gonna happen. But it was such a perfect machine of emotional work. Of just Grandmaster Spielberg p- pressing all the right, button- right buttons that, like, yeah. I was helpless not to feel in that moment. It was yeah. absolute magic. And although I'm probably never going to watch E.T. again because it's just <laughs> too melancholy. Yeah, that will. was, like, the highlight of my week was watching that movie yesterday and just having a good old cry about it. Yeah, I mean, and I can't D. remember Wallace. the last time I Ooh. saw that. Oh, yeah. So, what a babe. Dude, Forever babe. She's a fr- a, my, in The Frighteners, she's like, oh. mm. But uh, D. Wallace in uh, in this in ET specifically is definitely the model for Winona Ryder and Stranger Things. No question. Oh yeah, 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 undoubtedly. But, but yeah, I, I just say, was blown away. And yeah, Garrett, I, I would say watch it again. It like speaks to our tastes of being like, like sci-fi nerds. Yeah. And also film nerds in a big way. I don't oh. think a spaceship has ever looked better than ET's spaceship t- taking off. Oh, I don't even it's, remember. It's fantastic. Yeah. Cool. Um, so I, I you know. would agree. When I was uh, so I watched this again. You said you would agree. I would agree, yeah. Yeah, right on. Uh, I watched He's it like, nah, I wouldn't agree with that. I Best spaceship agree. of all Moving time, on. Cowboys versus Aliens. Come on, get out of here. <laughs> Best spaceship of all time, obviously, uh, fucking The Vast of Night, which I just watched a few nights ago. Um, but that's a good spaceship, but not the best. Movie. Sorry, I didn't mean that's to derail us for uh, that dumb joke. That's oh, good. it's all good. We'll but I, I also saw, I'll just concur with you real quick, Dan. I, I saw E.T. for the first time in a very long time a couple months ago again as well and like i just i was so blown away by it and i i think even if like your your average kid would not enjoy it he probably made you know he made it for the one out of every seven kids who's basically been through maybe a similar experience sure. as elliot who who can maybe see a little bit of themselves on screen and, and he obviously abandonment yeah. and that kind of thing Wait, yeah, yeah. okay so maybe you can clarify this for me is the dad dead I believe no. he. I believe it's divorce. He's in Mexico. Yeah. But, right. but here's the thing. There's a part in the movie where the kids are like, "Oh, he's in Mexico," and the mom starts crying and she says, oh, "He always hated Mexico." Hmm. That's interesting. And so yeah, I didn't know I to he's... read that as he's right. just stuck in Mexico, or read it as their coping mechanism is to just to right. just say, "Dad's away for a while." Right, well, right, Spielberg. Right, right. Spielberg. It's was very a child weird. I, I do divorce. think it's about divorce because Spielberg's yeah. a child of divorce. But that right. one weird moment like resonated weird you, for me. Yeah, I, and, and the, that, like, that makes me want to revisit it. Yeah, you that should. I would like to he got divorced take. too from Amy Irving. Uh, so uh, interesting. So so it's basically, and he felt really bad that at the end of Close Encounters of the Third Kind that he made Richard Dreyfuss <laughs> live his family. His family. So so I'm so gonna he, get on the ship. So this is basically his attempt to like uh, you know kind of have a, a a mulligan, which which he didn't need to do, but but I get yeah yeah. Why, well, what I I've always you know what I've always thought is interesting about that because he he has definitely vocally expressed his regret over the ending of um, Close Encounters, right? But what I've always thought is interesting about that is like close he made Close Encounters as like a very young man, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. 
And so it would have been hot on the heels of him living in the house where his parents got divorced and that kind of right. stuff. Right. And to me, what Close Encounters reads as, and I'm, I'm, I, it's interesting that he hasn't, I don't think as an adult ever expressed this, but like, to me, that movie reads as a young, angry man trying to understand what would motivate a man to abandon his family. Yeah. You like, know what I mean? Maybe his dad had a bigger calling. Right. Exactly. And like what bigger calling is there right. than to go explore the universe? Yes, exactly. And so, yeah. and so him then later expressing regret over that to me is more sounds to me more like him almost misunderstanding what he even made that movie about. Right. Where yeah. he, where he eventually gets to the point where he realizes like it doesn't ma- There is no justification for it. I, yeah. there's, I shouldn't have idolized my dad enough to even try and explain it. So instead all dads in my movies from now on are fucking pricks because yeah. like they should not abandon their fit. Do you know what I'm saying? And yeah. it's like, Oh yeah. It feels like he almost misunderstands the movie he made where it's like, no, you made that as an angry young man that didn't understand that. That I think was it took him making that movie that, to know? understand that. Yeah, right, yeah. That was, yeah. like, the tool to get there. Yeah. And then fast forward to War of the Worlds, and he's doing dad redemption yes, stories right. yes, yes, with, yes. with Tommy Boy Cruz. Yeah. And, a, and a fun fact about his parents is that, um, and I watched that, I don't know if you guys, honestly, I would definitely recommend watching that Spielberg documentary on HBO, because it's just, I, it I goes hope. through, it's just called Spielberg. Yeah. Oh. It's, like, two and a half hours, it just goes through, and so th- this will be my recommendation. I'm totally um, into this. So, yeah, so Spielberg on HBO. Um, it just goes through. It's kind of like that De Palma movie. It just goes through each of his I still got to watch that, too. Uh, but I feel like I need to also see. incredible. I'm afraid that I'm going to spoil the De Palmas I haven't seen by right. watching it. But I've seen most I, De Palmas. I don't think you will because what I do now, I watched that before I saw a lot of other De Palma movies. And what I do now is every time I watch a new De Palma movie, I go back and watch the part of the De Palma documentary. That is nice. It. And, and, and it's, it's streaming it. everywhere. Yeah. yeah. So uh, the Spielberg documentary on HBO just it just goes through each of his films chronologically, basically, and just explores like you know what was behind it, what was going on for it, how it reflects on Spielberg's work in general. I mean, it's just movie heaven if you yeah. if you love Spielberg. Um, just incredible and just fascinating. Um, charting his growth as a filmmaker and as a person, and, and uh, the you know the but I'm right there with you that it's funny that he's so hard on himself as um, a filmmaker in terms of close encounters, but there's a really great ending to the documentary that I won't spoil for you because like the whole kind of what you see is that a lot of his movies are fairy tales. Yeah. Right. Where it's like a family that comes apart and has to come back together. Yeah. Um, and then, so the ending of the documentary has a really great, uh, has a really great finale that actually makes his life in general seem like a fairy tale. So nice. for you. I, I, I didn't even know this it. movie existed. I'm totally yeah. gonna watch it. I Is this on HBO out. Max? <laughs> you can just even have it on in the background. I mean, like you know, you don't need to watch it like, super yeah. closely, but oh, yeah. you'll, you'll want stuff, to. Though. You won't be able to. I just went through that uh, Crystal Lake memories and never sleep again, and that's like 12 hours collectively of yeah. entertainment. But it's like that great to just crazy. chip away at it while you're doing dishes and shit. Oh, yep. it's fantastic. I, I watched Crystal Lake memories while I was packing my house when we moved here. Yeah, it's like the perfect thing for that. Yeah. Um, it's yeah, kind I, of a podcast and kind of a movie. Woohoo! <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, I, I guess I'll throw a quick recommendation out and then we can wrap it up, which is something we've talked about on the show many times. Um, I rewatched The Art of Self Defense this week. Um, and, I rewatched uh, that with Jenna recently. I wanted to show it to her. So fucking good. It's Aces. so funny. It yeah. is such a funny movie. Dude, Navola for president. That guy puts in the performance oh of a fucking lifetime. He is so Incredible. funny. Uh, yeah, I just the art of self defense is such a funny movie, but also feels like, you know, 
super relevant. I think yeah. it probably will for a while. Like, it, it, oh yeah, it, I think that's, that's kind of an there. evergreen concept, though. Yeah, because like it speaks to flaws in our nature in some yeah. type of way. You know what I'm saying? And yeah. Uh, yeah, so I think it's like evergreen and it's you real know, good. And egos right. are egos, man. <laughs> They're <know>. out there. <laughs> it's on Hulu, so you can watch it right now. I recommend it. And what I'll also recommend is if you have seen it, watch it again. Because the I've seen it, I think, three times now. And it gets funnier because that's just how comedies are when they're smart. But the other thing is, it is much more clearly, to me, uh, the story is more about Imogene Poots' character than you realize mm. on first viewing. Yeah. She, uh, the second cool. time watching it, she really came to the forefront. Yes. Yeah. yeah. She she has like a very distinct arc throughout the movie. And, and her character has like a real story also of trauma and past trauma and how it influences the decisions she makes. And uh, I mean, not to spoil anything, but I kind of on this viewing realized like, oh, the end of the movie is kind of an interesting suggestion of like, do you want to fix a toxic problem? Put a woman in charge. Yeah, shake that's it amazing. up. Yeah. And what, what I think is so funny about that, too, is that's another one where if that movie focused on her, yeah. then it would have to be expressly about that. Right. But by yeah. using Jesse Eisenberg, Jesse Eisenberg's character as a window into that, suddenly it solidifies that idea in a way without making it just about that. Sure, I'm pointing yeah, at my so computer camera yeah. as I do this. And yeah. it, man, I love that movie. And it's the delivery great. of the line about... You know, like, but it's the strangest thing. It's as if, like, it was definitely kicked, but it was as if it was punched. You know, like, the, yeah, when the yeah, cop yeah. reveals. Uh, the delivery on that is some of the most brilliant, dry comedy delivery I have ever seen. So, and, Oh, and you know what? Uh, the guy who gets his arm broken? Yeah. Do you know who that is? No. That's just the guy who directed Damsel and uh, really? Kumiko that's... the Treasure Hunter. He's who produced that movie, The Zellners. Yeah. That's, I, the I Zellner which Zellner it is. Craig but yeah, he's the, he's the Zellner, oh my God, which dude, means he's, so he's also the that priest movie. that has that yeah. wonderful scene at the beginning with, uh, not the priest, the guy, I think Robert yeah, Forrester is the priest. Oh no, Robert Forrester is the one who takes the mantle at the right. beginning of Damsel. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. watching it this time, I'm like, why is this guy familiar? And then when I looked it up, I'm like, oh, he's just the executive fucking producer and just like a brilliant creative guy in his own right he's super funny in that movie oh i feel so bad for him oh so i'll i'll, I'll throw one the recommendation i've been planning to give um is oh sure so dan you mentioned species earlier i'm gonna recommend species two i saw oh, that you watched this. hell yeah which um which and also has a connection to earlier with your uh talking about interviewing michael pressman i remember he was talking about his friend the director peter medak and Peter Medak directed Species 2, as well and, as the movie The Changeling, which was an incredible movie. He and directed what? the most recent episode of Hannibal that I watched. Oh, yes. Yep, yep he's so, a handful uh, of Hannibals. Oh my god! It yep. all, it's all coming together. So, Species 2 is great because, uh, or it's not great, but it's definitely <laughs> more fun than the first one because, you know, the first Species is like, you're what, like, oh, I'm going to watch like a sexy movie that's like, Showgirls meets Alien, and and it's sort of like it's sort of disappointing on both fronts. But <laughs> Species Two is is actually insanely gory and insanely sleazy. I think Species is a yeah. little tonally similar to Showgirls. I think that is very accurate. Yeah. Well, yeah, but but it's but it just doesn't like. But yeah, it's oh yeah, directed by like Roger Donaldson or whatever. Oh, uh, like it's a spot just a little. boring studio guy. You know, like it's yeah. just. It ends up being like pretty vanilla, is basically what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. yeah so yeah. species two is like the opposite of vanilla. It's like it's it's I mean, like it is Roger else. Donaldson, the yeah. director of Cocktail. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, it's just like what? 
So uh, Species 2 is just so gory. Um, I, I There is just insane stuff happening in it. And it's like 90 minutes. And Michael Madsen is in it. You mean Mads Mikkelsen? Mads Mikkelsen <laughs> is in it. And he just. Oh, as well as Marg Helgenberger? Marg Helgenberger. <laughs> yeah. Is that, is that just and another Kelsey portmanteau was. of Mads Mikkelsen? Wait, you mean to tell me that. Yeah, right. Matt, you mean Matt to tell me that, that fucking James Cromwell is in Species 2 and that didn't come James up yet? James Cromwell is in it. Mike Elty Williamson. It's got a crazy cast. I want to see it. I've only yeah. seen Species 1. I've never seen any of them. That stars Yo, Sir Ben Kingsley, if you'll remember. Just watch the first two. Like, it'll... They'll... I mean... No love for three, three or four? Or think, four? But I'm never... I was no way in hell I'll ever watch the third and the fourth one. But um, it's worth it to watch the first one to get to the second. And to be honest... You could just skip right to the second one. Like you really, yeah, yeah. you don't need. To yeah, I've seen, I've seen the first one actually quite a bit because that was just like a tape I had when I was like yeah. sixteen. Yeah, it's like it's... bro, you want to watch Species? Eat Fritos? Let's do it. Yeah, it's like you, you, you know, you. If if you can't, uh, you know, stay up late to watch, you know, Cinemax or whatever, like you can yeah. watch, uh, you can watch Species, and that that might right. do basically. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but but yeah, Species Two is like just the B movie version of species directed by an actual guy who knows how to direct horror films right. to a guy who directs like pretty boring studio movies. Yeah. And I think the last say. thing I want in my species is prestige. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't work for me. I'm not into that. Press species. You don't want for species. I don't want a prestige. <laughs> it's my Michael Caine doing yeah. the uh, prestige. What's the thing he says about like the size like, of a The tangerine. only way I know how to do the transport of men is with a bloody double. Yeah, <laughs> that's so pretty good. good. I just well, always I've go to a lot of trip movies, so you know. Yeah, I've got, I got, yeah. That's, I always go, and mine is not as good as yours, but I always go to the the size of a tangerine. <laughs> that's pretty fucking good too. Yeah. <laughs> I, we on our YouTube one the other day. I was drunk, and I think I put together a pretty solid Malkovich. Oh, you did. Um, and I don't think I could do it now because I'm yeah. only a little buzzed. But uh -huh. uh, my Malkovich was tight. It was tight. Uh, you guys want to close this up? Yeah, let's wrap it up. Yeah. Um, you mean Malkovich? Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're a little drunk while you're doing it. That's right. That's right. Uh, <laughs> okay. Come on, uh, I'm stoned too, so that's why I'm giggly. Go ahead and tell people where they can find you on the internet okay. if uh, you want to do that. Yeah, you can find me on Letterboxd at Andy Elijah. Um, and um, you can email me at andyelijah at gmail.com. Um, oh, yeah, and my fiance Ann told me to plug this. So she's teaching a – she's doing, like, an online class about podcasting. So if you want to oh, learn yeah. about podcasting, please email me. I'll give you the details, andyelijah at gmail.com. And I write uh, – I haven't been writing too much the last couple months for Cinema 76 because I've just been kind of, like, you know – depressed and in yeah, quarantine you've been kind of in quarantine yeah <laughs> uh -huh. there's Not kind of been a global pandemic separation. sorry i couldn't get to you yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah but um but i think uh fortunately in the next month uh, i'm gonna be writing about a couple of flops uh, i'm gonna write about the assassination of jesse james by the coward Robert <sighs> ford i can't wait and to also read that. children of men so i'm excited oh, about those nice. movies. that should get me wait. that should hopefully break the uh break the cycle for me dude yeah, i'm yeah. dying to read your uh, I'm, ex I'm excited James to piece. revisit it because I haven't seen. I've only. Seen I've never seen that movie, so Dude. I'll have to watch it so that I can enjoy your piece. 
Make Garrett, time that for movie you like fucks. It? Oh, I think I'm going to love get it. I've heard great things about it. Killing them, Killing them Softly is on Netflix, and it's yeah. much shorter, and it's the same director. Okay, cool. And watch that, that and you'll movie. be like, yo, I got to watch. Because like, yeah, yeah, yeah. he's got some style. He's like one of those directors that needs I love movies. It. Yeah. yeah. Andrew Dominic, yeah, is that it. it? Right, yeah, that, yeah. I think that's right. Yeah. Good shit. Um, uh, well, Dan, I'm go at ahead Dan and... Scully on everything. Uh, Letterboxd, check out cinema76.com, findy.com. Um, I just kicked off, it hasn't quite started yet, but I have a, just a random talking about nothing shit with former guest of the show, Steve. Oh, yes. uh, we have a, a side little side project that we're doing called Hot Property. Hot um, you can check it out on Spotify. Hot Property. It's just us literally just talking about our week. And <laughs> it's been a lot of fun and we get to a lot of stuff and it's been kind of cool. Uh, so definitely check that out. If you have a connection with Jamiroquai, uh, please just tell him to retroactively give us permission to use his song hot property as our because <laughs> it's happening so uh do that I, I imagine that a podcast called hot property is about two guys like getting you know kind of wasted and like just just like talking scrolling through zillow and talking yeah. about talking yeah. about like the... <laughs> if you look up hot property on spotify dude, or iTunes or anything like that east haggard street dude that's dude, hottest property awesome. bro and he's been a fixer upper, but you call my brother. He works at Serta Pro. We get it all cleaned up. Dude, don't even start. Dude, <laughs> this is the uh, best fucking house you'll find in Delco, dude. Trust dude, me. It's fucking, dude, don't be an asshole. It's fucking legit. <laughs> but uh, if you look up Hot Property on any podcasting forum, it just brings up thousands of episodes of real estate podcasts that you, that have an episode titled Hot Property. When really we just did it in reference to a Norm Macdonald joke that we both enjoy. That's literally <laughs> all it is. His Star Search bit. Look it up. Um, they should so yeah, redo uh, Billy Joel's Piano Man, and instead of you know, and like like John is a real estate podcaster. <laughs> yeah, that would, that would he talks in a mic for life. Just like what real estate podcast just sounds like an awful thing. They're all drinking hard seltzer cans and I don't know. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, the other thing is also uh, uh, Jenna rec- uh, and uh, if anyone saw the Johnny Depp retrospective on late stage capitalism, actually for a lot of people that's <laughs> we the did. most recent piece of theater you've seen. <laughs> yeah. um, which is, is a, a, which is a play uh, that uh, uh, your partner Jenna uh, yes. stars in and wrote, and yeah, yeah. The woman that she wrote it with uh, has a a play that she's been uh, that I saw a reading of that was fantastic called Opossum, and <laughs> uh, Jenna plays a character in it. So as part of Solo Fest, which is a thing going on in Philly theater, uh, they recorded a. <laughs> a beat poetry kind of thing from one of the uh characters of of opossum which is just a south philly tumbleweed so basically just a pile of trash played (laughs) by jenna doing some beat poetry about the fucking losers at marconi plaza and um, i'm proud to say that i played the bongos for it and uh it's gonna be uh, playing this weekend on instagram live and as well as like a few other days as well so either find me or find her and check it out it's really fucking funny the writing on it is is primo stuff so uh, awesome. check that out if you uh catch it in time that sounds rad dan i i wonder if you've thought about this too that is it's macroni plaza right is that right is that what that... marconi plaza i it's think it's Mar- marconi it yeah. is marconi because yes. every time i hear it all i can think about is john dies at the end do you remember that that's uh the oh, character yeah. that uh, clancy brown plays yeah it's like the marconi it's, institute it's marconi yeah. there's like I all think those it's commercials marconi plaza. It's, like, it's just that name over and over that's all i think about every time i read it 
That's so funny. I haven't oh, thought about Cody. that in forever. He was, it was, uh, yeah, Clancy Brown. Yeah, yeah. I, I, have you guys funny. heard of the uh, various uh, somewhat uh, racist towards Italians uh, nicknames that they've given those guys? Oh, yeah. Like Water Isis. The w- Water Isis, uh, Gravy Seals, yep. which is amazing. Um, and I came up with one, the Submarines. Ooh, pretty good. <laughs> good. Chip Chantry, local comedian, had one, which was the Gobble Ghouls. Yeah, yeah, the <laughs> Gobble Ghouls. Yeah. And you know, my, if I may say, my so, father you know came funny. up with In Parms Way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's very, very funny. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> those guys. What makes me laugh about them is that ain't nobody was ever coming for that statue anyway. I know. And then they defended it from nothing, drawing so much attention to it that it's got to go. That's yeah. so fucking beautiful. <laughs> yep. It's just so it's, it is kind of beautiful. It really it's is. beautiful. It's like you could have saved that statue by staying home, which is what you wanted to do anyway. Yeah. <laughs> and then you showed up. And Find so another Italian to like fucking and to be enamored with. Just love another yeah. Italian. Ray so many other great Italians. Yeah. Love another Italian is definitely a very good like steamy romance novel you can pick up at Kmart <laughs> right now. That's very funny. <laughs> Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Philadelphia. That's with an F. Uh, I'm on Cinema76.com. And um, I uh, let me think. By the time this comes out, yeah, uh, um, uh, pretty soon this week when you're listening to this, I'm a guest on the podcast Too Fast, Too Forever. Uh, I can't wait to listen to this. Fast and Furious podcast. Uh, and they had me on to talk about Hobbs and Shaw and to Fantastic. pitch my Fast and Furious legacy sequel, The Sons of the Furious. Nice. Uh, so, yeah, check that out. I, that's coming that's out on perfect. Tuesday. Yeah. The Sons um, of the Furious. Too Fast, Too Forever. That's what that's called. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think that's it. So, uh, that, my name, I yeah, love that it's it. called Too Fast, Too Forever, even so though good. it's not a sequel that would have the two in it. Right. It's just that having numeric digits in your title is now just a part of the... Yes. <laughs> the that's incredible. That's great. It's uh, part of the DNA, except the N in DNA is a two. <laughs> by the way, it was a blast. Like, I loved being on that show. So, I, nice. I, I think they're going to reach out to you, Dan. You should definitely do it. It was. Super I'm going to hunt them down, if not, yeah. because I've got yeah. some shit to say. Super fun. Super. Where fun. are they based out of? Uh, I don't know. Somewhere. Just yeah. all over. But yeah. you can find them online, so check it out, because Garrett's on an upcoming episode. Yeah. Uh, uh, my name is Garrett Smith, and I like to movie movie. My name is Dan Scully, and I like to movie movie. My name is Andy Elijah, and I like to movie movie. And we all know that you like to movie movie because we, we like, like to, to movie. movie. Yeah! Wow, that's hard. Ah, ah, always the best.